sports fans, I am Danielle McCartan. Danielle in the daytime or Danielle at Sunday dinner time. I'll be talking all things New York sports with you right up till 10 p.m. on this holiday Sunday here in Manhattan. Very happy Easter and a very happy Passover to those who celebrate. Whatever you're doing at the moment, whether that's coming home from your holiday celebrations or maybe you're in spring break mode in transit to or from any of our three local airports. In any event, I appreciate you tuning into the show right now and throughout the evening. And we are here in the Big Apple. And Connor Green and I are coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio here in lower Manhattan. You know the number. It's already pre-programmed into your phones. 877-337-6666. And as always, let's load them up with your best, most well-thought-out takes only. And you know, I, I, I know there was just a big Nets game, but I do not want to go any farther today without mentioning the fact that, unfortunately... The New York Islanders lost yet another legend this, you know, this hockey season. Mike Bossy, one of the most prolific goal scorers in the history of the NHL and a four-time Stanley Cup winner and obviously a key part of the Islanders' dynasty years, passed away after a battle with lung cancer. He was 65 years old. So rest in peace to NHL Hall of Famer Mike Bossy. Our thoughts and our prayers are with his friends and his family and the entire Islanders community. Yeah, Jason Tatum contained mostly throughout the game, mostly played the role of heartbreaker to all Nets fans with a spinning, dazzling layup at the buzzer. Game over. Count the basket. In a game where the Nets never had more than a five-point lead, they were almost able to steal this game from the higher-seeded Celtics. You know, surprising to me was that the Celtics were able to pull off that buzzer-beating victory despite the fact that they have the second-worst close-game win percentage in the league. They're at, they win, the winning percentage is 250 when, when they are playing in close games. I mean, we're even talking worse than the New York Knicks. But similarly, entering play today, the Nets had the fourth-best close-game win percentage. That's a 619. So that was a little bit surprising to me how the, the 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 Boston Celtics were able to clamp down in the final minutes and the final seconds of this game. But, you know, coming into this game, you knew, everybody knew that Kevin Durant was going to have a tough night. He was the number one priority that the Celtics defensively, with their best defense in the entire NBA, had to account for. Different schemes, traps, uh, double teams, you know, boxing, all, all this stuff. You knew they were going to throw different things at the Nets uh, defensively from the Celtics' point of view. Kevin Durant was not comfortable the entire game. I mean, at the half, he only had seven points, and you're sitting there watching that, and you're saying, okay, only seven points. He's primed to go off in the second half. And he didn't really. After the game, Kevin Durant said, quote, Teams will be designed to take away some of my catches. And maybe I was rushing a bit. Sometimes I rush my shots. And that is exactly how the Boston Celtics were able to contain Kevin Durant, make him uncomfortable, keep him off his spots, and and, and make him rush his shots. And overall, Durant finished 9 of 24 from the floor with 23 points total. You know, if you're a casual basketball fan, you know, there's a there's a there's a stat that's plus minus. It's a stat that neatly measures a player's efficiency when they're on the court and, and, and the team's efficiency when that player is on the court. So Durant was a minus thirteen. 
and and extend that even further. He, Bruce Brown, and Andre Drummond, all starters, they were all minus 13. And so for some context there, there was not a single Celtics starter that was even in the minus at all. You look at Dragic and, and, and Claxton, they were 12 for 19 off the bench, and they were the two highest-rated Nets, plus 17 and plus 10, respectively. Yet Claxton comes in and he misses two crucial free throws in the final minutes of this game. That can't happen. You can't you can't miss free throws against the Boston Celtics in the final couple minutes and expect to win this game. And that was one of the reasons why. Yet the silver lining, the Nets were down 15 points in this game, and they battled back. They clawed back. Kyrie Irving, it was a 17-2 Nets run in the f- opening minutes of the fourth quarter, and you're sitting there like, okay, they can do this. But they came up just short. And, and honestly, I bet earlier this morning that this game would go into overtime, and I, I almost won, actually. And the Nets coming into today's game, they were the sixth best team in the league at turning turnovers into points, 17.2 points per game off turnovers. But today, the Nets did not even hit that number. The Celtics' defense held them to under that number. So that's kind of like their bread and butter, right? And they weren't able to execute there. And, and you know, most of the team stats between the Nets and the Celtics, if you look at them, they're, they're completely similar. Blocks were similar. The free throw percentage was exactly the same number between the two teams. Steals were the exact same number between the two teams. And, and, and on and on and so on. So what should the Nets do for Game 2? We look ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm already turning the page on this heartbreaking loss. Mariah Carey, right? This heartbreaking loss for the Nets. I'm already turning the page, and I'm looking at what they can do to improve for Game 2 and say, okay, here's where we, we were deficient in Game 1, and here's where we could take that to be um, better in Game 2 and hopefully come out with a win. And here's what I look at. The Celtics in today's game dominated in the paint. They outscored the Nets by 24 points in the paint. That, that just, just can't happen. And then the Net, the Celtics dominated the Nets in rebounds, and particularly in the offensive rebound category. Celtics 14, Nets 5. I mean, if you really watch the Nets, this isn't something new to Nets fans. It's just exacerbated in games like this. It sticks out in games like this where you can't get that shot, that Kevin Durant three-pointer in the closing seconds there, and it doesn't fall. That kind of masks that sometimes. And because the shot didn't fall, because the Boston Celtics ended up winning the game, you look at rebounds and offensive rebounds, the Nets, again, it's a theme here, were obviously out-rebounded. And, and those are the two things that I would clean up if I were the Nets. Points in the paint and rebounding. Can they beat the Celtics in Game 2? I mean, guys, they lost Game 1 by one point. They were down by as many as 15. Of course they can come back and win game two. I, I am, I'm confident. I'm confident they could do it. If they, they, they clean up what happens in the paint, and if they put a little bit more effort in rebounding. You know, the old adage of, of put, your, put your butt in, into somebody underneath the, uh, underneath the basket. Box out. Get in good position to make the rebound. Don't just chuck the three-pointer up there and, and transition back onto defense. You have to, and a team like this, against a team like this, who has the best defense in the league, you have to go up and get 
get your second chance points. Has to be. And as we look to our baseball scene in here in New York, today was a busy day. I, I had the split screen going on the TV at home. You had the Yankees on, the Mets on, and then the Nets all at once, right? So as we look to our baseball scene here in New York on this Easter Sunday, I point to a tweet from Sweeney Murdy who said, if anybody is hunting for eggs, there are a bunch of them on the scoreboard at Camden Yards. <laughs> and it made me laugh out loud. And I, and I would add to that, at City Field too. And I asked at that point, what happened to the offenses of both our baseball New York teams, the New York baseball teams today? Both the Yankees and the Mets playing against teams in the Baltimore Orioles and the Arizona Diamondbacks that just last year both lost exactly 110 games each. The Yankees and the Mets couldn't figure out how to score on them. I mean, the Mets didn't score until the sixth inning. And the Yankees, well... We'll talk about them first because they never scored. Nasty Nestor Cortez Jr. is the ace of this Yankees rotation at the moment, and there isn't anything that you can do to say or convince me otherwise. I mean, in his two outings so far, Nestor Cortez has put up excellent numbers. Diamonds in the sky, especially the gem he put together today. It, for the season, nine and one-third inning pitch, 17 strikeouts, zero runs, six hits and one walk. On the season for Nasty Nestor. You know, today, just look at today. 70.4% of his 88 pitches were all strikes today. He scattered three hits in one walk today. He had a career-high 12 strikeouts today. And of the 15 outs that Nestor Cortez recorded, 12 of them were on strikeouts. He is the first Yankees pitcher. Think of all the Yankees pitchers. He is the first one to strike out 12 or more in an outing of five innings or less. Nestor Cortez Jr., who we should be talking about today, should be. That should be the lead story here. He threw Nestor Cortez threw an immaculate inning in the fourth inning. Nine pitches, nine strikes, three strikeouts. And he exited the game after a gem or a diamond of a performance with a standing ovation from the many Yankee fans that are in that were in Camden Yards earlier today. And guess what? It still wasn't enough. The New York Yankees' offensive ineptitude totally undermined Nestor Cortez's gem today. Get it? Mind? Gem? Nasty Nestor did his job. He painted the corners. He changed his speeds. He varied his deliveries. He exuded confidence. And the Yankees couldn't score a damn run for him. Are you kidding me? And, and you, you look at Rugnet Odor, who was a Yankee, who drilled Loisaga's 29th pitch right back up the middle in the bottom of the eighth with the bases loaded, 2 nothing Orioles. You know, you're suppo- that was it. That, that was it. That was the fork in the Yankees. Are you, like, really? You're supposed to hammer the teams that you're supposed to beat. And the Yankees have not yet this season dropped the hammer on the Orioles. I mean, you look at the, the, the extra innings lost Friday night. Okay, the 5-2 to two win Saturday night where you thought – that the Yankees' offense was about to break out. They followed that up with a miserable four-hit, scattered four-hit Sunday loss. You know, you can't win. I don't know if the Yankees know this, but you can't win the AL East 
if you can't beat the Baltimore Orioles. The Yankees did not put away the Baltimore Orioles this year, this series, and this is a theme that really has continued on from last season. And actually, the last time I was able to talk with you on this station, Luke Voigt was the Yankees' number one first baseman. Gary Sanchez was the starting catcher for the Yankees the last time I was here, and, and Gio Urshela was a starting shortstop. Obviously, all three of them are playing their home games in different cities now, but it seems as though the more that things are different for this Yankees team, the more that they stay the same. Aaron Boone said Friday night, quote, it's fair to say that about last year. Let's check back with us. We'll be fine. If we got a third hit Friday night, it was a great night. The bottom line is one run is not going to get it done. We got to do better than that, end quote. Okay, so, so checking back in today, Sunday, zero runs today, one for three with runners in scoring position, seven men left on base. Yeah, you know what? It's still not going to get it done. And you know, in the 10 games so far this season for the Yankees, I kind of looked at it. When they hit a home run, when the Yankees hit a home run, they typically win the game. When they don't hit a home run, they typically lose the game. And I think there's only one, maybe two games where that does not hold true. And so today, look at this box score. No home runs, no win. It's, it's ridiculous. And you know, this Yankees situational hitting, more things stay the same. The Yankees situational hitting is already on life support. And maybe someone needs to step in and perform the resuscitation uh, you know, act on every Yankees bat like Shohei Otani did to his. Because right now, the Yankees hit exactly 190, a buck 90, with runners in scoring position. Fifth worst in the league. That's some bad company. And Saturday night, you know, you look at when the Yankees started the top of the first with runners on first and second, nobody out. They did not score. The top of the third Saturday night, Donaldson grounded out with the bases loaded. You just can't be doing that. You just can't. And then today, in the top of the fourth inning, Glaber Torres bunted. Probably a decision that he made all on his own to move DJ LeMahieu over. And to me, that decision's kind of crazy, considering all the past success that Torres has had at Camden Yards. I mean, eight home runs there in his, in his career. So anyway, with, with one out... And DJ LeMahieu at second base, Kyle Higashioka's base hit set up a first and third, one out situation for Kiner Falefa, who tried to safety squeeze to start the at bat and then ended the at bat with a grounded into a double play, <laughs> inning over. Brutal, just brutal. And at, at the time, the game was 0 0. Can't be doing that. And this is also a trend, too. Friday night. Oh, Aaron Hicks. Oh, Aaron Hicks. Stepped in with bases loaded, one out. He's got a count of three in one. Three balls, one strike. The best count that a hitter is going to see. He takes the pitch directly into a double play Friday night, Aaron Hicks. I mean, the Yankees are the first team in the American League to ground into 10 double plays so far this season. That's not going to get it done either. In this series, especially, if you look, you got to look to guys like Aaron Judge to get it done. Because against he's an Oriole killer, not the bird, the team. Against the Orioles since 2020, 21 games, he's got a 304 average. He's hit 11 home runs, 20 RBIs, and on baseball slugging, uh, 1.142. That's amazing. This series, uh, walk or two in there. I didn't total up the walks, but this series, Against the Baltimore Orioles this time around, one for seven, Aaron Judge. 
And I have another question. So with an off day tomorrow, with an off day tomorrow, why was the Yankees' hottest hitter, Anthony Rizzo, riding the pine to start the game? He needs a day off? He needs a day off with a day off tomorrow? Two in a row? Huh. And then, oh, Tim LaCastro got the call up for today's game, and you're thinking, great. A guy with a ton of speed, he can play all three outfield positions, and 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 LaCastro, he was part of the, the the catalyst last season, if you will, of 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 guys that can change the narrative of this team, right? So you look at it, and okay, he's got the call up. He makes a, a, a full extension, diving catch in left field at t- top speed. It saved a run in the bottom of the six for the second out, and then Aaron Boone. What does he do in the very next frame? Aaron Boone decides that he's going to take out Tim LaCastro and he's going to pinch in Joey Gallo, of all people, for him, who who ended up lining out right into the shift. I mean, there's no feel for the game. And, and from a guy that used to play it, I'm surprised. Because I know when I played, and, and it was not at the major league level, spoiler alert, when I made a huge play in the field, I was hoping to be due up in the next half following that play. Just the momentum, the excitement that carried over into the batter's box for me, it's just, it's inexplicable. I can't explain it. Usually, though, good things follow. You had the momentum going, you, you, the juices are flowing from the field into the, in, in, you know, into the batter's box, and, and usually good stuff happened after that. And instead, Aaron Boone decided to pinch hit for LeCastro, who just made it a web gem of a catch. I mean, come on. And, you know, this is a detail-oriented show. This is a solution-based show. So why can't these Yankees get it together with runners in scoring position? This is something I really thought about today. And, and I want to point to the fact that they have used a different lineup every single game through the first 10 games this season. And, and I think, having played and, and, having, and coaching myself, there is something to be said for continuity. For showing up to the ballpark every single day and seeing your name in both a familiar spot in the lineup and a familiar spot in the field. The Yankees don't have that right now. Not through the first 10 games. You know, I'm, I'm talking from my own experience. Every day when I show up to a field, still to this day, I know the two letters SS are going to be next to my name. I know the number two is going to be next to my name in the batting order. There is something to that. There's just an inexplicable comfort level. And I don't like the lineup shuffling, both offensively and defensively for this team. And I don't think it's setting the team up for success. Now, now I don't know if all this lineup shuffling is a result of the short spring training, which they didn't exactly figure it out during. I don't know. But, but I don't think so. Because the Mets have used a fairly consistent batting order so far this season. And the Mets, it was all the small things for them today, wasn't it? Small things opened the floodgates for the New York Mets this afternoon in the sixth inning. It was just aggressive base running from Pete Alonso paid off. He went first to third. And because he ended up scoring on an errant throw from the right fielder to the, into the second baseman, the throw was clearly rushed. Alonso scored, and that was based off his hustle running first to third on the, on the play prior to that. And then on the same exact play that, that Alonso scored, Escobar had a double. He recognized the overthrow, and then he slid safely into third. Nice hustle. Nice base running by the Mets. 
And then all the small things, the real attention to detail on the base paths. J.D. Davis, who was down in the count and had an RBI pinch hit single. He was on first base. Then James McCann followed with a short sack fly to left field. Dom Smith tagged up and scored to make it 3-0 Mets. And then the Arizona pitcher Perez, he stepped off the rubber while they were all still looking at the appeal that the Diamondbacks had, had issued to see if Don Smith left early. But in as many innings as he's pitched, as soon as he stepped off, he should have known that it's a live ball. I wrote in my notes at the time, I'd venture to guess that Buck Showalter knew that tiny rule and was the one who told Davis to run. I wrote it down when it happened. And so, in his post-game press conference, Showalter was asked about it. Yes, he did know the tiny rule, which was kind of Bill Belichickian, wasn't it? And then he said he relayed the message, and these are my words, he relayed the message down the bench to have J.D. Davis steal second base in that scenario, in that live ball scenario. And at that point, the appeal was negated altogether. Smart play. And and SNY had a, a, you know, they showed the replay again, and Dom Smith actually did not leave early anyway. But I have to say that, that no chance... That turn of events happens under a guy like Luis Rojas. When people, uh, you know, when there's managerial vacancies and I'm fielding these calls of, you know, the Mets don't win any games because of their manager. They don't lose any games because of their manager. Yankee fans do. They say the same thing. Well, when people make that argument, I want you to remember this one. I want you to put this one in the win column for Buck Showalter and the Mets. Definitely. And actually, at this point, right after all this commotion subsided, This is the point where I changed the channel on my big screen TV from Mets-Yankees split screen to Yankees-Nets split screen. Because this is a different look, New York Mets team. And and you know what? Honestly, I only checked in the score once after that. I just definitely had the confidence to to switch channels knowing that these Mets were going to come away with a victory. And you know what? They did. The Mets beat the Diamondbacks 5-0 and they won their third straight series to open the season. Right now, as we speak, the Mets' run differential of plus 21 is currently the best in Major League Baseball. Right now, as we speak, the Mets have scored the second most runs in Major League Baseball. And right now, the Mets' starting pitching has an ERA of 1.07 after today's game. It is the lowest in franchise history through 10 games. So this is a different New York Mets team. Don't look now. But Anthony Nicomo, uh, he kind of tabulated it. Don't look now. The Mets are on pace for a final record of 113-49. and 49. Okay, let's get the, the parade preparations ready. Start cutting up your confetti, Mets fans. <laughs> hey, let's get it going. I've set the table for you. It is time to RSVP for Danielle at dinner time, and I can't wait to talk with you at 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on Easter Sunday here on The Fan in New York City. Hey, welcome back to McCartan. I don't know, Danielle at dinner time here on The Fan in New York City on this Easter Sunday. What a day for sports it was here in this city. We uh, were talking about the culmination of, of the Yankees' loss, the Mets' win, and the Nets' Lost by one point at the hands of the Boston Celtics in game one. I mean, it doesn't get any more exciting than this, right? The, the, you know what? Though the Easter Bunny could have brought 
three wins for our teams here in New York, the Yankees, Mets, and the Nets. Although it seems as though the Easter Bunny has only brought one win, and it went to the New York Mets. And I, I was just looking on, on Twitter during the, the commercial break, and uh, J.D. Davis said it was all, quote, it, quote, it was all buck. That play that we just talked about in the open, it was all buck. Of course it was all buck. And happy Easter to everybody. Buona Pasqua to my Italians out there, and, and, and happy Passover as well. We're settling in to, uh, to my show here till 10 p.m. You know, yesterday Kyrie Irving said, I hope we can move past my Boston era and reflect on some of the highlights I left at the TD Garden that they can replay. Move forward. It's a new paradigm, baby. End quote. And yet he gives the fan a middle finger. <laughs> and, and Kevin Durant was asked about it in the post game, and uh, he kind of kind of like <laughs> sniffed at it and kind of laughed at it. So maybe, maybe not everybody has moved forward. From it, but it got me thinking about how Kyrie Irving performs in Boston in his entire career, and I thought he'd have a slightly better game than average. Uh, you know what his average numbers indicate. As I posted on Twitter, I predicted for Kyrie Irving today: twenty-eight points, five rebounds, five assists. Okay, well I hit on the rebounds. He actually had five rebounds, six assists, and thirty-nine points. Ah, can't win them all, right? All right, so to the calls we go, 877-337-6666, in the order that you called, batting leadoff tonight, Kevin in Camden. What is up, Kevin? Hey, Coach, how are you? It's been a while. It's good to have you back. Uh, thank you, thank you. It has been a while, but I'm back. I'm, I am back and ready to do it. Let's go. What do you have oh, for me? I'm ready. I'm ready, too. I got the Yankees and the Mets. I'm going to lead. I'll start off with the Yankees first. Mm-hmm. Um, first, the last time we talked, the Yankees didn't do that trade. And, I, and the last time I was on the phone with you, I said I was being facetious. Trade kind of left for Gary Sanchez. Little did I know after I made that call to you, they, uh, that night they made the trade. And I, I, was, I was like, you got to be kidding me. I, just was joking. <laughs> I was joking with Coach, and it actually happened that night. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I, didn't, I don't like the trade, though. I, I think Donaldson, for me, is eh, he's washed. Um, I would have rather – I would I miss Gio. I really, he's the one I, I wish we would yes. Yeah, he, um, he didn't want to part with Gio or Scheller, right? And, and no, I'm watching. No. I'm watching. Jo- First of all, I didn't like the trade mostly because of the fifty million dollars, but mostly because of the dollar amount, right? And if you're Aaron yep. Judge in that locker room yep. in that clubhouse, you're going, "Wait a second, I can't get w- what I want." Yet th- you're going to eat fifty million dollars for this guy. And, and and the more I watch exactly. Josh Donaldson in the field, Kevin, I, I watch the the fundamentals. I mean, he he, he doesn't move his feet quick enough la- laterally. I mean, he he's he's backhanding balls he should be getting in front of. He's kind yeah. of olaying other ones, and and, and that's going to come back to, to bite him. You watch, mark my words. Oh, I agree with you. I want to also mention Aroldis Chapman. Listen, oh yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I, I think we said the game you were at. I mean, he just he kept walking people left. Back and forth, and then the other game, he blew it in the. I'm like, you got to be. He, I told you before when I called your show, I said he is a. Um, he's not a big time. I mean, he's a good closer, but he's not a big time closer. Those are the words I told you back then, and I still stand by it. He, the days of the dominant Aroldis Chapman, I hate to say it, I think they're done because he just he looks. He just looks. Kevin, you know what it is? He, he looks like a guy that is not confident in his abilities out there. He looks like a guy whose only weapon is to throw the ball 102 miles an hour and the rest of the league has caught up to him. That's what it looks like to me. I agree with you. And real quick about the Mets, loving the way that they're starting. Loving it. Everything is good. Everything is good. The hitting is good. The starting pitching is phenomenal. Would not have expected that, that without DeGrom. But the one issue I do have, I wish Buck would let... Starters go more than five innings, and then just give him a quick hook. 
Yeah. Let the pitchers pitch more. Because you, I mean, we all, as Mets fans, we all know the bullpen's not that great. Yeah. I mean, they, today they did a good job, surprisingly. But let the young, I mean, the only one that's pitched six innings, I think, is Bassett. Who's been phenomenal? I love that tree, by the way. Uh, Kevin, but, I told you. I, I said the the night that it broke. You remember? You were. I'm sure you were really yeah, saying the yeah, night yeah, that it broke. Was, Rosenberg. I, I walked in and he goes, "Hey, uh, check your Twitter. Mets just traded for Bassett." I looked real quick and I was like, "Oh my god! That if this guy is your third starter, you're in a real good position if you're in the New York oh, yeah. Mets." I said it then. Said it yeah, now. Yeah, but I, I just wish that all the other starters would, would go more than five innings because you you were texting your bullpen and, and the Mets. I, I, I will say this: that they should have upgraded the bullpen more than they did. Um, I'm not going to complain because we're seven and three, but I think they need to. Um, Billy Apple needs to make some moves to shore, shore it up because it's going to be a, you know a lot of texting on this bullpen, and it's a long season. So for, for the Mets, yeah. loving it, but they're, they're, you know let the starters pitch longer, and you need to direct the bullpen a little bit. But other than that, I'm pretty happy with that. And as far as the Yankees, uh, just. They gotta wake up, and I, I will say this: Aaron Judge, I think, should have taken the uh, long-term contract offer. I, I get you want to bet on yourself, but you're, you're almost 30 years old. I don't, I don't know if you're gonna get, especially if you have a down season, which we hope not. But if you have a season, he, he's betting on himself, and I just think he should have taken it because age is a factor, and I think nobody's gonna offer him what the Yankees offered him at the start of this offseason. I think Judge made a mistake. Not taking that contract offer, but that's just me. Yeah, Kevin, and thanks for the call there. Okay, first, I, I want to say that that I thought, and, and I went on the record here and said, I, I, I thought that the, the Aaron Judge deal from the Yankees' perspective uh, was a fair deal. I thought it was a fair deal. And, and you got to respect the fact that Aaron Judge wants to bet on himself. You have to, right? And, and the night before, I just had a feeling that he wasn't going to sign the deal. You know what I did? I put like 20 bucks on him to win MVP, AL MVP. The next day, he turned the contract down, and this guy is playing, uh, or he should be playing. Like, he's got a lot to prove this season. And, okay, they didn't get the deal done before. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Yankees and, and, and Aaron Judge's camp come to an agreement around trade deadline time. Just because they said they weren't working on it throughout the season doesn't mean they aren't working on it. So, although I do think it was a fair deal, I don't want to say it was a mistake, although maybe I, I thought if it were me in that position— considering, like, as Kevin pointed out, age, all, all these factors, right? And the fact that Derek Jeter even signed his name more than once to a contract with the, with the New York Yankees. Um, I, my advice to judges, don't be going for the gusto. I, gusto, I, I would have signed the deal right then if it were me. But you got to respect the fact that he, he thinks he can get more. He, you know, whatever, whatever. And then as far as the starting pitchers pitching longer, Kevin, absolutely, I'm with you on that. I, I agree with you 1,000%. The one thing I will say is that the, the, the baseball had a shortened spring training, and you don't want to let a guy out there for eight innings um, hurt his arm and be done. So it's it's still, this year more than any, part of the buildup. Uh, so I wouldn't put too much stock into that just yet because I do think that Buck is the old-school guy that will keep them in longer than, than you know maybe an Aaron Boone and the Yankees would, and, and especially since the bullpen is not, Great. So I, I wouldn't, you know, I don't think that's going to be a trend that you're going to see, uh, let's just say, less two weeks from now as these pitchers get stretched out just a little bit longer. Lou in Astoria, you're up next on the fan. Daniel, how are you? I'm good, Lou. How are you? I miss you. What's going on? Uh, thanks, Lou. I, you you're know, still young. I think sooner or later, you're going, you're going to be permanent in the station. I mean, you know, I, I really have a hard time understanding it. Like today, they have a host. That said, what Kevin, uh, Curry Irvin did, flipping the bird, 
I, he would have done the same thing. I don't want to mention his name because you know how it goes. Mm. But it was, it, was, it, was on, it was on Twitter. Okay? Mm. It's amazing. But anyway, I want to mention two words. Happy Easter and James Harden. Okay? Happy Easter, yeah. And James Harden. That's the reason why the Celtics won the game. I just want to put that in, okay? Okay. Now, on the Yankees, oh, my God. Uh, Nelson Cortez Jr., my God. Derek Hall. <laughs> right. Derek Cole, are you going to take this guy out to dinner at least every day? Don't you feel embarrassed to have a guy making $700,000 yeah. and you making that kind of money and he's putting up what he's doing, including for last year? Okay? Oh, Nestor, Nestor Cortez is the ace of this staff, let's be honest, yeah, right, I, at the, at the moment. I understand that. And by the way, you took the words out of my yeah. out of my mouth when you said about when the Castro made that play, okay, and I played the game just mm-hmm. like you did. Mm-hmm. And you're not letting him hit. Yes. And then you put somebody like Gallo. By yes. the way, he shouldn't be playing the game at all. And any and any face, I don't care if football, he's, that guy should never be in my team. That's all I can say. I'm sick and tired of it. And as far as George, I'm going to give you just one 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 point, okay? The guy has been on the pay for years. Everybody makes more money than him in that team. It's at least five, five players that make more money than him. Mm-hmm. He's the best player in that team. Mm-hmm. With a universal DH, okay, it's around now. Somebody has to talk to him and tell him, listen, I got something for you, okay? You don't have to sign this contract. And by the way, coach, he's married. So, that makes a difference. Oh, he's you're, married you're saying she's controlling it? She's controlling well, the Well, you know, sooner or later, if you want to have a happy marriage, <laughs> the, wife, the wife is the boss. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> okay, I mean, I don't know what you're going to do in the future, but that is a fact of, of life. I don't care what anybody says, and I'm telling you right now that, you know, you don't like me. When you say that about La Castro, my God, that's exactly what I have in my mind. You take care, <laughs> and I hope to see you sooner than later. Okay, baby? I, I hope care. so, Lou. Thanks. Appreciate that. Hey, uh, <laughs> the, uh, as he was talking, it made me think of uh, my big fat Greek wedding when she says the, the, the man is – the, the, the head of the household, yet the woman is the neck and can turn the man's uh, head, uh, turn the head anyway. She, I, I, I'm bungling the quote, but you know what I'm trying to say here. Uh, but I love that movie, by the way. Um, and, and Lo Castro, yes, he makes the grab. Web gem, full extension, diving catch in the left center field gap. He's due up next inning, and Aaron Boone says, nope. Tim LoCastro, we just called you up, and now you're going to take a seat. You got all the momentum. You're going to take a seat now, and Joey Gallo is going to take the bat out of your hands. Joey Gallo, of all people, I, I just, it just makes you scratch your head, to say the least. All right, got to hit a quick break, and we have an update for you. Um, Connor, who is it on the updates? Pete McCarthy. Hey, McCartan to McCarthy, and I'll be back with you on the other. Welcome back, everybody. I am Daniel McCartan with you till 10 p.m. when Lori Rubinson and the program comes your way uh, on that quick break there. I just ran to the microwave. Uh, you know, uh, it's Easter Sunday, so I got mom's lasagna here. So I just heated it up and I'm, I'm, I'm eating little bite by little bite as we go here. And, uh, and we actually had to have Easter Saturday last night because I'm, I'm here. Yeah, I should say Easter Saturday yesterday because I'm here today. Uh, so I appreciate uh my mom moving all the plans for that, and um, I've got the, the the leftover lasagna right here ready to go, as you saw that I put it up uh, on Twitter as well. You know, also, too, yesterday, yesterday morning, I had uh, I had the honor of being a, a keynote speaker for Dumont Baseball and Softball's opening day ceremonies, and, 
you know, the weather held up, thankfully, for both the parade, the ceremony, and the games afterward. And it was not looking good about midweek, but it held up. And to do something like that, it was the first time I did anything like that. It was just a surreal experience, you know, to be at the guest speaker at an event that, that I went to every year since I played as a t-ball player. I mean, I just I hope the message I delivered to both the boys and the girls in attendance was good. And I had a little extra surprise for the kids. So this past week was spring break. I teach during the week, so this past week was spring break. And um, I was supposed to go away, two different places. I, I, I didn't end up going away. It just didn't feel right. And the temperature in Vegas was 65 degrees. So, no, I, I canceled that trip. I'll go again. But I was uh, – I, so I decided I'm going to go with the Yankees this week. I was with them twice this week. Um, I got some some good stuff for you guys coming up in a little bit. But Aaron Judge – recorded a, a little message for the kids and that's how I ended my speech and it was a recorded message from one of the faces of major league baseball the kids went nuts so I just want to say very publicly a very big thank you for Aaron Judge uh, for recording that for them it was like a 10 minute 10 minute uh I mean 10 minutes 10 second little message there and so um yeah, I, I appreciated that, and, and Aaron Judge, you need to know that every single kid was gasped, audibly gasped, when they heard your voice come through that microphone. So um, thank you very much, and thanks to Dumont Rec and Dumont Little League for having me and all of the Dumont baseball swag that they gave me. I'm wearing the sweatshirt right now. Once a Husky, always a Husky, right? That's like Eli Manning says about the Giants, but I'm saying it about the Dumont Huskies. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and I hope uh, if you were there, I hope uh, – Hope my message was good. I, I, hope you, I hope you liked it. Oh, and by the way, they said, oh, yeah, and you're going to throw out the first pitch, too. And I was like, oh, um, okay. They said, we don't have anybody to throw the softball, so, so you're going to have to throw the softball. I was like, okay, I'll do it, but I'll do it overhand. They were like, okay. And then it came time. Guy handed me the ball, and he's like, you got to do it underhand. I was like, what? <laughs> and my friend, Shannon, was there, and she was the pitcher on the team. And she was like, oh, Danielle, I tried getting a video of my shortstop throwing underhand uh, but uh, she has two kids now, and she's like, she, she couldn't get in position to do it with the stroller and everything. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was good. It was fun. I had a fun time. And uh, if you have me back, I don't know how I'm going to top Aaron Judge. So maybe uh, maybe it's a good thing that, that I don't come back. I'm no, just kidding. I would love to. All right, so let's go in the order that you call Jack and Rockaway. You're up next on the fan, Jack. Go ahead. Hey, Daniel. Happy, uh, happy Easter. Happy uh, Easter, lifelong, Thank you. Uh, lifelong Brooklyn, New Jersey Nets fan. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, I uh, go back to like Chris Morris and Dennis Hobson and Ed O'Bannon draft picks. Mm-hmm. So I've been suffering for like 30 years. <laughs> but uh, I don't have much confidence in them winning uh, anything this year. Uh, I'm not, uh, I don't have much confidence in the coach. And You'll beat Orlando on a, on a Tuesday night by 20. You'll beat uh, Chicago maybe by 10 in a regular season game. But in the playoffs, when you have to go through Milwaukee and Philly and uh, – Boston, every every possession matters. It's close games. Right. And Steve Nash has proven nothing to me. Now, he was handed a job for no reason other right. than he was friends with these guys. And I'm there's just two incidences, if you don't mind me, this week sure, that, that just bothered the hell, hell out of me. Uh, one of them was a, it was a critical game. Uh, Bruce Brown, he pushed the other team in the back in crunch time. They challenged it. They lost the challenge. The announcers were like, he pushed them, their own announcers. And he kept complaining. And he messed up the next play, and and Nash doesn't put an end to it. Yeah, and then uh, then they had Knicks versus Nets and Houston versus Nets back to back, and I kept hearing Nash talk about how he was tired and the fatigue and a back to back. And Kyrie didn't play sixty games this year; he played right. twenty games every year. He's right. not tired. Durant missed thirty games. 
you 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 got you walked in luckily to their final four games were a cakewalk at home on most of the four games and he and you you you're the leader of the team i the the turnovers the the the, the not miss miss rebounds yes. all year and it's it's a participation award everyone's great everyone's my friend Kyrie said the best we don't have a coach and it's going to affect them Greatly, and I you don't know, see them. Jack, you know what though? Yeah. It's not that they don't have a coach; they have like three coaches. I mean, when you look in crunch time in the huddle, I mean, who's making yeah. the decision? Who's making? Is it Kyrie Irving? Is it Kevin Durant? Is it, <laughs> is it Steve Nett? Who's making the decision on which play to and, do on a, on a, a crucial I, inbound or something like that? I, you're you're hundred percent. I don't put much much stock into NBA coaches. I think there's some difference makers. Pop, obviously, yeah. Spoltra, but uh, Nick Nurse, I'm looking at the talent. Look at look at what Tyrell Tyrell uh, Lou did with the Clippers this year. Yeah. Look at the teams that are ahead of the of the Nets. Chicago, Toronto. T- Toronto had a ton of injuries. Chicago, uh, Cleveland was on par with it. We had three of the top five, top ten plays in the game at all times. Yeah. Plus a very good supporting cast. This isn't a team devoid of talent. And we the excuses. This is year two. And and the one other thing that drives me crazy. Yeah. I keep hearing I'm Durant, I'm amazed by Durant. I keep I, I keep hearing how he's the best player in the planet, and I'm looking at poor LeBron at this. I'm like, he's this is year three with the Knicks with the Nets. The first year he missed, we, we won one playoff series. Uh, he's been to three championships in 15 years, three finals. Two of them he piggybacked on to Golden State. He went to one. He's never averaged more than eight rebounds in a game. He's great. I don't. I love watching. He's phenomenal as a scorer. But he is not the best player in the game. LeBron won the championship two years ago. He's been to the finals nine or ten times. He, he led the league in scoring almost this year at 30 a game. He missed, and they're saying he's the best. Giannis is the best player in the game the last couple of years. And the Indeed. best player of all time, and, 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 or arguably now, is LeBron. You know, he had some injuries, but to hear that Durant's the best player, and it, it drives me crazy. He's, we, we, we have one player, and I, I don't see us. I do not see us getting into championship Listen, this year. Listen, Jack, and, uh, like Kev- Kevin Durant. Talks. Kevin Durant is is a great player. Kevin Durant is, is he might be the best player in the league, right? He, he just might be. He's, he's in the conversation. Scorer, he's he's yeah. in the conversation, right? The problem with this Nets team is you could score 500 points a game, but if the other team scores 501, you lose. Exactly. That's that, the that's problem. Nash, is, Nash never went to the finals for the same reason when he was with Phoenix. The same, the, 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 the grit, the, the, the tough rebound, yes, the, 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 grit. the defense. Yep. Thanks for taking my call, Happy Easter, and you're doing a great job on yeah, the show. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, Jack. I appreciate that. And that's the thing. I feel like I feel like this Nets team, and that was a great word you used there, Jack. This Nets team doesn't play with a lot of grit. It's a lot of finesse. It's a lot of finesse coming from this game, and, and it's not a lot of grit. And, and and let's not forget that this Nets team has, has overcome a lot. It, it really has. I mean, from the beginning of the season, you had Kyrie Irving, who was not playing. right? And then it became part-time player. And then it became... Harden wants out, and then it became Durant was hurt, and, and all these things, right? It's not easy to navigate, but here they are. They've landed in this series versus the Boston Celtics. They've got they got out rebounded like embarrassingly. That would be the number one thing that I would I would clean up for for game two moving forward. And to me, I think rebounding and defense is just it's just effort. I mean, I, I wasn't the best shooter, you know, when I played basketball. I really wasn't. But you know what? I was really good at defense because I I really really. I almost I, I I I cared a lot. Let's just say like that. I almost cursed, but 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 I cared a lot, and I was a good defender. And I feel like, like I just said, you could you could be the most prolific scorer in the game, but if there's no team defense conceptually, there's no team defense going on behind you or in support of you, you're gonna lose. 
So I think that's where the Nets, and for two years we've been talking about this. Maybe three, two, three years we've been talking about this with this Nets team here on this radio station, on this show. Just like the Yankees. It's the same issues that keep coming up. And at one point, at what point do you look at the coach and say, okay, how are they practicing? What does practice look like? Are, are they are they are they rebounding in practice? Are they held accountable in practice for rebounding? I, I would venture to guess no, because it's not translating to the game. That's my guess. Let's go, Robbie and Lennox. You're up next on the fan. Robbie. All right, we got nothing there, Robbie. Sorry about that. You're gonna have to give us a call back. Okay, you'll get right in. Okay, uh, let's go, Dave in Queens. You're up next on the fan, Dave. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for working, Connor. Thanks for working on Easter. Um, great show. Um, what number did you wear in basketball when you played two? You know what? You wore two. I mm-hmm. wore I wore thirty two actually. Nah. <laughs> yeah, two is weird in basketball. It if is, you yeah. can pull that off. Yeah, thirty two. That's good. Good trivia question. Now people know that. What, <laughs> what number? Did you? Um, this on um, Danielle. Yesterday I wake up. I find out the Mets are giving away um the mini statue yeah. of Tom Seaver. Yeah. And I I go right on SeatGeek. First time in my life. I download the app. I never did SeatGeek. Mm-hmm. Smooth. I got it through. Got a ticket for like eighteen dollars. Didn't care where I sat. Just wanted to be in there, get the giveaway. Mm-hmm. Wanted to see the statue itself. So I went there with no, didn't even know anything about the statue. Didn't see the ceremony the day before purposely. So I can, whenever I get a chance to see the statue, I just go there, you know, sure. raw. Sure. I and I went there, you know, got off the seven train and it's kind of right there. It's yes. like 50 feet from the seven entrance, seven train entrance. And um, yep. I'm telling you guys, everyone out there who hasn't seen it, that can go there it's it's gonna move you if you if you're a real baseball fan and you love Seaver. It doesn't care if you love the Mets or anything. Let me tell you, it moved me, and the location's perfect. I want to give credit to the Mets organization for the and the sculptor. Um, he nailed it because I'll tell you why. I had a I had Tom Seaver glove as a kid of his model, and I'll tell you, I recognized that glove in the statue. Like it was like looking at my glove. Like I remember yeah. my glove, and it was like he even nailed it to that to the specifics of the glove that I used to have, the Tom Seaver model. And I wanted to tell you what I'm going to do, Daniel, is I'm going to order some wine. I know Tom loved um, the winery he had, and mm-hmm. I'm going to order some Tom Seaver wine one of these days, and I'm going to get it sent to my house, whatever the price is, in honor of him, and I'm going to bring a bottle there, and I'm going to toast him whenever I get a chance to go out there again when the weather's warm. I'm going to have a sip of his wine in front of his statue. Um, oh, man, I just statue. got chills. Dave, can you send me a picture of that when you yeah. do that? I'll do that. Okay, you got it. I will do that. And sometime in the warmer summer, I'm going to have some whatever. Not that I'm a wino or anything, but I will yeah. respect Tom and get a wine before a game and toasting him with his own, um, his great winery out there. And it's not a plug. It's just that I know how much he loves sure, it. Yeah. And that would, you know, that's going to be my thing. And um, I wanted to say, um, it, it, yeah, it did move me. And um, I, basically, that's it. Anyone out there, get there. It, it's right there by the seven train. And I tell you, it, it's... um. You know, statues don't really impress me, but this one moved me, impressed me, all the words, and I can't emphasize it enough. It's the real deal. So thanks for letting me talk, and I'm listening on the Odyssey app. Thanks. Hey, Dave, wait, one thing. Did yeah. you get the statue? Yeah, sure. the, did you get the miniature statue? Oh, yes. Let me tell you, the, the miniature statue. I haven't opened it because I think I'm going to save this one. Like, I'm going to yeah. – and people offer me money, like a friend of mine. And it's not about that. Yeah. It, not that he's offering me a million. I might sell it for a million, but, <laughs> I mean, it's not about that. It's about it's – in, it's, in, it's in a special spot in my house. It's going to be in it's – a, it's in a beautiful box yeah. with – like, it's a quality product. I was going to say, is it heavy? Away. It looks like it's heavy. Mm-hmm. 
It, um, well, the statue's not that big, but the box is it's protective. Like, like they didn't want it in shipping to get hurt right. or crushed, you know, or broken. Like, they really put money into the box, and the box is beautiful. And, um, yeah, I haven't even, like, I, it's weird. Yeah, I haven't touched the statue and seen it because it's still inside. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave it that way just to really preserve it because I, I really wanted it. And, and the Mets gave it away to everybody. They didn't, like, if you were six years old with your son, yeah. I mean, if you were your six-year-old son, say, you, he would get one, you would get one. It's beautiful. Like there was that. no age thing. I like they had that. boxes and boxes. Yeah, it was a quality, um, professional um, giveaway, and I, I commend the Mets. Yes, thank you. Awesome, Dave. Great call there. I hope you do send me that picture. That'd be awesome. You know what? That even gave me an idea. I, I might go and do that, too. That sounds like really, that sounds like really cool. And the statue is uh, right to the right, I believe. I don't know if it's like right directly adjacent to, but it's to the right of the home run apple. Um, and I'm sure you saw that on TV if you're a Met fan. And uh, if you want your own Tom Seaver statue, <laughs> you could buy one on eBay for like $63. Oh, here's one for 41 <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's good. That's nice. Ceremony was beautiful. And you know what? The one thing I did want to mention, I did want to mention that let's not let this go un, what's that, well, unrealized or, or unaccounted for, that Jacob deGrom took a flight from Florida, up from Florida, to come to the ceremony and to come to, to, to the Mets opening day festivities. Let's not, let's not sweep that under the rug. That, that was huge. For the guy who says he's going to be opting out of his contract and a guy who gets compared to Seaver all the time, for him to be there at that ceremony, injured, as an injured player, you got to give him a lot of props. That, to me, says he wants to be a Met for life. That's what that says to me. Okay, oh, Robbie and Lennox, you're, you're back. All right, Robbie, go ahead. Hey, thanks, thanks, Daniel. Happy Easter, you and your family. Happy and also, Easter. Before I talk about the Yankees, I just want to say that was one of the most refreshing endings of basketball I've ever seen. Guys sharing the ball, going inside, just a great play by Jason Tatum. And any time the Nets lose, I'm happy. So um, I'm not a Celtics fan, but I'm a Knicks fan, and I just don't appreciate the Nets or Irving or Durant. And uh, so that's just all about that. But anyway, I wanted to also say about Mike Bossy, how sad I was, even yeah. though I'm a Ranger fan. That guy admired that guy. He was a tremendous player. And if you look at Ian Lemieux and uh, Gretzky, the least yes. guys to score 50 goals in 10 straight seasons, yep. impressive. Anyway, about the Yankees. Daniel, what what could be said that hasn't been said about the way this team is run and the way this way the manager runs this this ship? It's not all his fault. This is on the players. But Brian Cashman is the architect of this this Correct. garbage, and I'm sick of it. I really am. It's embarrassing. I'm sorry. You score one run in 20 innings against the Baltimore Orioles. Can you comment on that about their feelings about that? How does that happen? Me, I think it's ridiculous, and I really, I really do think that it is. Um, you can attribute it to the fact that the lineup. This is the tenth different lineup in ten days. Disgraceful. There, there's no. There, there's no continuity from day one to, to, to the next day, and, and that really does have an effect on players. Yeah, you can go back to, I mean, you can go back all the way to, you know, to the early days of the 20s with the Yankees and set lineups. And then, you know, it's ridiculous. I mean, you know, in my lifetime, I mean, I was watching Mickey and Willie, you know, going down the line months in, you know, and, and Reggie and Chambliss, et cetera. And then, you know, the Jeter days with Nobbs and him. And I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, first of all, you know, you've got to go on guys that make contact. You took a guy in Gio Show that made contact, who was a gold glove third baseman, and you traded for a guy who's going to strike it 100 times this year. I mean, I mean, you traded for a guy who strikes out, like, how many times does Joey Gallo strike out already this season? And you trade for that guy. You already get strikeouts from Stanton and Judge. When is Brian Cashman going to open up his eyes? I mean, it's like three blind mice between he and Boone and, and, and the ownership and Hal Steinbrenner. When are these guys going to open up their eyes and realize that the analytics or whatever they're doing is garbage? 
You've got to have speed at the top of the line. Look what the Mets did. How would this look, Danielle? Sterling Marte leading off for the Yankees, Rizzo behind him, LeMayu third, and then Judge fourth, and then so forth down the line with Stanton. Now you're talking about putting the line together where you've got guys that are guys that hit, make contact before you get the guys that are boppers. You know what I'm saying? Uh, no, makes, Robbie, I get it. And yeah. I'm looking at the construction in this lineup, too, and I'm like, wait a second. You lost Gary Sanchez. Okay, that's a that's an addition by subtraction. Okay, you, you trade Chio Urshela, which is like, what are you doing? And you bring in a guy. It's just it doesn't make any sense. Connor Falefa, yeah, great. He's a great defender. Okay, sure, but he hasn't done really anything at the plate except for that one game. It's a lot of question marks. This, you know, everybody's saying, oh, this team's going to be different. No, this team is not different than any than than it looked last year or the year before that. Or you know what I'm saying? It's it's. In the way that it's constructed, and you're like, wait a second. See, I asked Aaron Boone real quick. I know we have to go to a break here, but I asked Aaron Boone the other day when it was – I tweeted about it. It was Rizzo 1, Judge 2 in the order. And then when I was at – the next day, I noticed that Rizzo and Judge dropped down a slot or two. And I asked Aaron Boone on the field. I said, hey, like, how about – and, and they, they, each of them hit ho- solo home runs in the game. And, and then they got dropped the next day. And I was like, hey, uh, did the solo home runs have anything to do with the fact that you dropped them in the lineup? And he t- basically told me, no, it was a, a lefty-righty sort of thing, uh, you know, based on the, the order that he came up with that day. And I'm like, uh, all right. So, uh, and that's the other thing. I'm just very tired of seeing the solo home runs. It's just a lot. It's just, it's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, actually. Um, game on the line, save situation. You're the manager. You have to make a call to the bullpen. Who are you bringing in? Mystery player A or mystery player B? I love doing this. I love doing this. I want you to check out my social media channels for the graphic I just tweeted, and I'll set it up on Facebook and Instagram in a minute. Um, but two players, career stats. Take a look at them. I want you to go at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Twitter, and I want you to go to uh, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. I want to tell, I'm going to put it for like 10 minutes only. I want you to tell me which player are you picking to close your game you have the decision. Which one are you going with? Mystery player A or mystery player B? Give me a call, 877-337-6666, and get your votes in. We'll talk about that coming up next here on The Fan. Oh, yeah, Mets fans, this is a familiar song, isn't it? This is the entrance music of your closer, Edwin Diaz. Mm-hmm, the trumpets, Timmy Trumpets. We're here to. We're about to debate some closing pitchers. I, I posted a graphic with the career stats, which is not inclusive of any of today's games, right? Of two mystery closers, everyone around here knows really well the both of them. The song is just a really big hint about one of them. Edwin Diaz is one right now. Let me take a look at the poll on Twitter. Let's look real quick right now. Mystery pitcher A. Is winning in the votes. You've got uh, two minutes left to vote, so head over to at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Twitter. And if you go on to Instagram, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N there too, I put up a, a poll on the story part because you can't obviously do it in the post part. 80% of you guys are picking picture A. Okay, that's where I thought that was going to go. I also put it on Facebook, but they don't have like a poll feature. They just have like the, the graphic and you can comment. But I'm sitting there. I'm combing through stats to try to, I don't know, identify qualities of closing pitchers that would be important to me as as a manager. Maybe save percentage I put in there, leverage index, meaning like what kind of a situation are they put into? High leverage, low leverage, medium, okay? And there's a score for that. So the higher the score, 
um, the more stressful the situation they come in at. Um, ERA, I figured, number of 3-0 counts created, number of first pitch strikes thrown, blown save percentage, inherited runners that ended up scoring. That's kind of what I put in the chart here. I have mystery closer A, mystery closer B. Are you ready for the unveiling? As the lights just went off in the studio, I I guess they're on a motion sensor, but are you ready for the unveiling? Mystery closer A, everybody, that everybody's picking. The majority is picking mystery closer A based on his career numbers. It's Aroldis Chapman. A, Aroldis Chapman. B, you guessed it, based on the music, Edwin Diaz. So a game on the line, which one are you bringing in? Because what really surprised me is that Chapman's career numbers are much better than Diaz's. But at this moment in time, if you're asking me to choose Chapman or Diaz, make the call, especially in a non-save situation, I'm picking Diaz every single time. And I'll tell you why. It's, listen, I think Aroldis Chapman, and I alluded to it a little bit before, but Aroldis Chapman, he's had a crossroads in his career. He's a thrower. He's a hard thrower. He's a flamethrower. I mean, you go to the stadium, they have flames coming out on all the ribbon boards and all the scoreboards. It's fire, right? The whole thing. That's his M.O. The problem is, for him, that baseball hitters have caught up to throwers. 100 miles an hour, it's not a rarity anymore. I mean, just look at Saturday night. Reds-Dodgers. You got Hunter Green throwing 39 pitches over 100 miles an hour. 39 in the pitch tracking era since 2008. That's a new record. And it broke Jacob deGrom's record, which was 33, which was sent just last season. And Oh, and by the way, it was just the second major league start of the guy's career. So back to Chapman. I, I talked to Matt Blake in the dugout last season when it started to unravel a little bit, and the takeaway that I gleaned from the conversation was that they're, they're trying to build confidence back in Chapman's fastball. Okay, fine, that is his bread-and-butter pitch. But like Andy Pettit had to do, like CeCe Sabathia had to do, starting pitchers, I know, but same concept. Aroldis Chapman's going to have to try to do a better job of complementing that fastball with other things, especially when he regains 100% confidence in it, because I don't think he's there yet. So I guess by default, I'm picking the call of the bullpen. It's going Edwin Diaz. So you fantasy managers out there, game on the line, who are you picking? Because I think the numbers tell a different narrative um, than than the actual, you know, what you're seeing with your eyes. So, look, I'm still, I just checked again. The majority of you are still picking Chapman, which I don't understand. But now maybe you know the answers. Maybe you're switching your, your votes here. Give me a call. 877-337-6666. Uh, let's go. Hey, hey, Mark in Dumont. Mark, you're up on the fan. Hello, Danielle. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Mark? Good. First thing is, when those trumpets blare, I still get a panic attack when Diaz <laughs> comes in. But so be it. I mean, look, we're we're used to uh, we're used to um, nervous closers from Franco to Diaz. So um, you know, it, it's just part of the game for the Mets and the Yankees now, right? All those years and, of yep. Mariano Rivera, and then you're looking at Chapman like, I can't go to bed yet. I gotta watch <laughs> this. So the real reason why I called is, of course, we want to thank you, Dumont Little League and Dumont Softball, Dumont Recreation, etc., for your appearance yesterday at the Dumont Little League opening day. Um, as you probably know, it's 
it takes a lot of us to put this together from the Dumont uh, uh, Little League Board and from REC, from the Chief of Police to the Fire Department to the town to everything, putting it together and making it go as smooth as it did yesterday. And like I had uh, tweeted to you, I said it was probably one of the best opening days that we've had. And for the fan listeners out there, Danielle threw a nice high strike. and <laughs> It wasn't a strike. Look, Mark, it wasn't a strike. I'll, I'll give you the high strike. <laughs> and then um, her, what she said to the kids, it definitely resonated in them. And I hope it resonated in the parents. It was perfect length. It addressed every issue that we were hoping that it would address. And when she played the audio from Aaron Judge, all you heard the kids were like, <gasps> like they're all gasped, yeah. uh, gasped. And I had somebody come up to me afterwards and was a big Aaron Judge fan, and he had the biggest smile on his face. <laughs> so, again, from Dumont Little League and Dumont Softball, we just wanted to thank you for uh, for doing that yesterday. Uh, thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. It was, it was my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for thinking of me. Thanks. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And Aaron Judge, again, Aaron Judge, thank you for uh, recording that message if you're listening. Or if someone listening knows him, send him a message. The kids went nuts. The kids went nuts when they heard his voice. So, awesome. It was a good day all around. Let's go, Marty, in Westchester. You're up next on The Fan. Yes, good evening, Danielle. Welcome back. Um, thank you. I'd like to talk about the Yankees. Uh, very frustrating to see uh, this team waste a lot of good starting pitching at the beginning of the season. Um, I heard you a little bit earlier. You're absolutely right about Anthony Rizzo. Uh, an off day tomorrow. No reason why he couldn't have been in the lineup today. Yeah. You know, okay. Listen. Doesn't make Marty, any sense to me. I know the guy's played in every single game so far. This. Yeah. I, I get it. He's played in every single one of them. But there's an off day tomorrow. I don't understand why. Why ten games into the season you need two off days back to back. I don't get it. Maybe yeah, it's just me. I'm in agreement with that. Uh, one other thing I want to mention about the game, it's kind of a head-scratcher. Aaron Boone, uh, his decision to move uh, Glaber Torres from second base to shortstop mm. late in the game doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it's well established that he's a better defensive player at second than he is at short, so why is he putting him uh, at short in the seventh inning for defensive purposes? Well, they had they had to move around the infield. They, they slid DJ LeMahieu over to second base because Rizzo came in and pinch hit, and then they put they put him back in the field. So they had to kind of make the corresponding move. DJ's not coming in to play shortstop, so that's kind of how that worked. Right. Truthfully, I would have put uh, I don't know. I forget if uh, Gonzalez was in the game at some point, but if he wasn't, I would have put Gonzalez at shortstop. Yeah, could have. I don't think he played. I think that would have worked. Yeah, off the top of my head, I had I had three games going yeah. on everybody, so I don't think he played. Right. Well, that, that's that's a, yeah. that's perplexing because uh, we know that Torres is not a, is not a, uh, a good defensive shortstop. So to, for Aaron Boone to put him in there late in the game, it just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and Marty, that's a great point there. And and actually, when I one of the days that I was at Yankee Stadium, I I did speak with Glaber Torres about playing shortstop versus playing second base, advantages, disadvantages, um, and the like, and 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 how it affects you at the plate. And I did ask all those questions, so uh, maybe if we have time, some time tonight, maybe uh, be able to run that. It's a short interview, maybe three or four minutes, um, and maybe we can load that up. Connor, maybe I'll send that to you on the break. We can load that up real quick. Um, and uh, there's also a video component to it, too, so I'll send that out as well. Hey, uh, Fabian in Brooklyn, you're up next on The Fan. Hi, Daniel. Thank you for taking my call. Hey, thanks for making it. 
Um, what is with our generation of sports athletes uh, getting all bent out of shape every time fans boo them? Oh, I'm talking about- you know what it is? Participation trophies, Fabian. That's what it is. Well, I mean, they're not. I'm sure they're not hearing half as much as, as what uh, Jackie Robinson had to hear. You know? Oh, I'm sure you are right about that. Th- thank you. I- I'm talking about uh, Kyrie Irving flipping the finger at, at uh, Celtics fans. You know, um, I mean, he, they, they, they don't realize it's supposed to be a family outing. Mm. You know, he can't uh, not take it so personal. He, he, he should just realize that they're just booing him just because. He's wearing the opposite team jersey. Yeah, and he used uh, to wear that green fine. jersey. Yeah. I, I I hope he gets fine. I hope they all take some some sort of course on how to, a fan interaction, uh, because the, uh, they love it when you, you you praise them and you cheer them. But the minute you want to boo them, mm. they uh, you know they want to punch you or something. Yeah, going the, going back to Durant about? and Lindor, and, and you're right about that. Yes. It's just yeah, yeah. when I played, I never heard any of that. Like I don't pay attention. Yeah. I never paid attention to any of it. You know, and it's it's crazy how these guys are so susceptible to, to hearing it and react. Not even just hearing it, but reacting to it. It's kind of nuts to me. You're right. Yeah, I, I just want to say that I, I think Adam Silver is uh, soft. I think David Stern would not let this go by. Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if you could you could. I don't know if there's instances of that. Um, not off the top of my head that I can, I'm sure some of you guys out there are probably listening like, yeah, there was a time that, uh, but nothing's coming, uh, nothing's coming into my head right away about that. Let's go to, uh, Ray in Brooklyn. Do we have time or should we hit a break? Okay. Uh, Ray in Brooklyn, you're up next on the fan. Hey, Danielle. Um, happy Easter. How are you? You too. Happy Easter. Thanks. I'm good. How are you? Thank you. Well, well, listen, I'm good too. I love the passion you bring. You're from the mold of like, uh, you know, Moose and Makata and I always talk to those guys. Ray, I'm just me. I'm just me, Ray. no, I know, but I love the fire. It's comparable. I love it. Thank you. But um, you you do a great job of, of your own, of course. So, listen, I, I'm going to bring some smoke on the Nets and on, on the Yankees as well. On the Nets, Kyrie's a jackass. We all know that. The reason why the Nets are playing on the road and they're in this predicament and it's going to be hard for them to advance at any stage of the playoffs is because of him. I don't blame Harden for anything. Kyrie sold him a bill of goods. Then he gave him the finger, said, F you, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. So James Harden simply did what every human being on the planet would do. And she would just said, F you too, I'm out of here. Uh, you know so, what, I, um, I, that's, Ray, that's a good point because I, I probably would have done the same thing if I was James Harden. If I signed up for something and then it turned out not to be what I thought it was going to be, I'd find my way out of it too, especially with Kevin Durant hurt. He didn't know if he'd be coming back at, at what, kind, what strength. I would have done the same thing if I was James Harden. Sorry. I know it's probably not the popular opinion, but I would have done the same thing. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's the popular opinion. It's the truth. And, you know, they uh, they were telling him, hey, you know, we'll do whatever it takes. And then come down to it. They didn't hold their end of the bargain. So he laughed and said, bye. So as far as the Yankees, as far as Judge, I think this guy's worth um, every penny. Now, I wouldn't sign him to a ten, nine or ten year no. contract. But if he wants, if he wants the seven or the eight, I think the Yankees can up it a little bit. I'm reasonable. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Up it to like 35 a year because they want to sell this fake narrative, Brian Cashman, who hasn't been having a good run here lately, about, oh, we try to make him the second highest paid outfielder. Yeah, but you would have made him the third highest player on, on his team. Look that up. It's fact. So don't, you know, miss me with the fake narratives and, and all that stuff, Brian. You did a terrible job. I agree with you, Danielle. That was a terrible move for Donaldson. Yeah. I don't care what the metrics say. That something has to be said for the for uh you know for for um, passing the eye test with Gino. He was a superior fielder, and 
he also took away a dimension that Gio, who's not hitting at the time right now, but he's not hitting any worse than Donaldson, so it doesn't matter. So, but Gio would move the ball, the, you know, the uh, base runners around. He had a little pop, but he had the extra dimension that he's not all or nothing. He'll spray the ball. He's a team player. And then with, with Rizzo, let's all stop talking about this guy like he's Donnie Baseball. He's pretty much a fossil, too. And if you look at his average now, he's hitting about two. 220, and he only hit 240 the last three years combined, maybe 239. So, yeah, he had a great start. Thank you for that. I knew it wasn't going to last. Um, and as far as Judge, you know, people like to say he's not worth the money. But, listen, there's something to be said. Judge is a great guy. It's not that he has a huge ego. He has great character and integrity. But he brings a lot of value to, to the team that they're not factoring in. Of course. His value to the team is more important uh, then the Yankees brand is the judge. Judge can go anywhere on the face of the earth now with his brand, you know, th- uh, with social media and marketing and everything else. Just like right. people say, hey, nobody's coming to the Giants or the Jets because you can make that, or the Knicks because you can make that money playing in OKC. Well, you can make right. In here's OKC. the other thing, too, though. But, right, here's the other thing, too. You come to New York, you pay a ton of taxes. You pay a ton of taxes out of that salary, too. And the Yankees have been underpaying because it, it is what it is, the contract of Aaron Judge for a long time. Uh, and, and he's out to get his money, and he deserves to get his money, whether that be here in New York or, or elsewhere. It is what it is. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with that Glaber Torres audio. I sent it to Connor. Thank you for turning on the lights, by the way, in here. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, and and uh, we'll, uh, we'll continue with Glaber Torres talking about um, – playing second base, playing shortstop, and how it kind of correlates to success and or failure at the plate. So uh, coming back with Glaber Torres here on The Fan in New York City. Hello there. <laughs> Welcome back. I am Daniel McCartan. McCartan before midnight here on The Fan in New York City. Rolling with you for about another hour, hour and ten minutes till Lori Rubinson comes your way. Um, as we just alluded to, someone called about it, and guess what? I have it in my bag of tricks. I talked with Glaber Torres on... The 14th. What was that? Thursday? And then whatever that date that was, the 14th. I talked to Glaber Torres on the 14th of April, just a few days ago, um, asking him questions about you know, playing second base, playing shortstop, how it affects you at the plate, and just trying to get into the mentality of a guy like Glaber Torres. And I appreciate it for his time. This, it, it, there's background music because this is during batting practice. We are on the field. I'm actually going to tweet out the video as well. There's video component too, uh, to it. And you, you might have seen the uh, the screenshot I posted up on social media earlier in the week, and I asked, what are we talking so intently about? Um, some of the, the responses were very funny, so if you want to go kind of scroll down and find that, uh, you'll entertain yourself. But um, here is, it's uh, two minutes and uh, just about three minutes of myself and Gleyber Torres on the field batting practice before the deluge of rain uh, at the game on Thursday at Yankee Stadium. I'm Daniel McCartan here with Glaber Torres, New York Yankees infielder. Uh, Glaber, how are you today? First good, of all. good, thank you. Thanks for doing this with me. Um, so I wanted to talk about kind of the mentality of playing multiple positions and, and the effect on how that is at the plate. So being able to play multiple positions first, defensively, how is that an asset to this team? Uh, man, uh, I know it's a lot of war, but uh, especially with the Yankees, it's a great opportunity to play every day. And... Uh, Try to do the best. I mean, do the adjustment, uh, training really well, and try to to play really well during the game. So second base, shortstop. I'm a shortstop myself, and I used to. They made me play second base. I didn't like it too much. But what I'm asking is, I guess, what are the similarities? What comes naturally between the two positions for you? I mean, all my career I played short, 
but uh, when I got opportunity to play in the big leagues, uh, I was get opportunity to play second, and uh, I feel really confident there. Uh, uh, I put really good work every during the offseason, spring training. I feel really, really great there. So, like I say. Uh, if tomorrow I need to play short and just try to do my best and, and try to do my best for my pitcher and my team, it's just like opportunities every day and every day and and do the best. My team is uh, the the great point on myself. What is I then similarities sure, but what are some main differences then between playing? It's like it's like putting on a tie in a different way in a mirror, I assume. Yeah, I mean, sure, you got a more space. Most of the ground boys coming to you. I mean. You need to move the, the feet a little bit more, so yeah. it's a great position. I mean, I really love short, but I second is another position. It's yeah. uh, I feel like <laughs> more easier because it's more close to the first base, and yeah. I mean, it's just like be be consistent in both positions. And like I say, every opportunity you got to play whatever position, try to do the best. When you switch from short to second. The note, it was noticeable, the jump in your offensive production. How can you explain that? How, why would that occur? I don't know. It's just weird, but uh, uh, I mean, always I really love hitting. Um, when I don't do the right thing the, on the on the hitting stuff, I just want to do the best thing in the defense. So basically, I think it's more easier when I play second. Uh, I don't know how, but uh, the team's going well to me. So. And just try to do the best for my team, and, and if it's in second and second, if short is short, I just, just want to do the best thing I can do, and, yeah. and every opportunity I, I, I have, try to hit really well and, and try to do the best thing for my team. And about how many percentage-wise, how many reps do you take at second base versus shortstop in practice? Uh, I don't know. Depends how I feel that day. Yeah, awesome. Glaber, thank you. I appreciate thank you. it. Hear the key word? Comfort. He said comfort or comfortable, something like that. So my second assignment for myself that day, and that, and that makes a big difference. You know, listen, I said it before. If, if you're showing up to the ballpark and you know you're playing X position, you're hitting X spot in the lineup, it makes a, a real difference in how you play. And, and my second, um, I guess, self-created assignment that night was to talk to DJ LeMahieu about it too because I noticed in his splits, I know it's early in the season, but I did notice that when he is um, – Penciled in at a single position, his hitting is markedly better than when he moves around the diamond, uh, you know, in different scenarios and different situations. Uh, his hitting suffers. He, not including in today's game, I don't know if he moved around today, I can't remember, but off the top of my head, but he, he hits an average of, it's like batting average is like one, 130, something like that, when, when he plays multiple positions in a single game. So I wanted to pick his brain. We just didn't get a chance to connect and, uh, he did tell me that next time I'm there, he's I, I got him. I, I have him. So uh, I hope to bring that to you too. But you he, he, he heard it right there. It's a level of comfort. It's nothing you can quantify. He didn't. Know, he even said Gilbertoris didn't even. He said I, I I don't even know. I don't even know how it correlates to hitting. But I'm telling I'm telling you all that it's it's the confidence factor. Uh, let's get one in uh, right before the the top of the hour here. Let's go, Marty in Lindenhurst, New Jersey. You're up on the fan. Hi, hi, Danielle. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Marty? Good, thanks. I wanted to talk a little bit about the Yankees. And I've been a Yankee fan. I'm 83 years of age. I've been a Yankee fan for 70-plus years. Mm -hmm. And it really gets me a little aggravated. I'm not going to try to overreact at all. 
But the product that I see on the field now, and this is just my opinion, you have a catcher that can't hit, you have a shortstop that's not going to hit, you got a left fielder that's turning into a disaster, you have a question mark at third base, and yet the media, and I understand this because they have a job to do, they sort of project them to wind up second in their division. For the life of me, I don't see that happening whatsoever. When you play Baltimore and you are shut out for about 20-plus innings in a three-game series, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It is. And Cashman had an opportunity in the offseason to improve the team, Boone, who I call Mr. Optimism. I mean, even in today's uh, paper, he said that uh, Gallo is close to uh, doing well. The man has zero RBIs, zero home runs, and he's just a shade away from doing well. I mean, how much do you want Yankee fans to believe, to be honest with you? Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. and I'm going to ask your opinion on that, Daniel. Yeah, Marty, and I, and I, I appreciate keeping that short for the update here. Um, Listen, I think uh, I think the rosy picture. I, I think people see right through it. Um, the narrative that everybody's just around the corner, we're going to get it going. I mean, we've we've heard that. It's like rinse, repeat, cycle through the, the, the you know April seventeenth from twenty twenty one, or you know what I mean. It's it's the same stuff. Yankee fans are smart. They see right through it. They see that this team is from the top down. Um, from the from Brian Cashman did not make. Uh, this team better in the offseason. And you thought, you know, you know, shipping out Gary Sanchez, you're like, yeah. But but this team is not constructed in the way, let's say, that the Mets are. The, the Yankees and the Mets are constructed completely differently. This Yankees team, is it looks exactly the same as it did last year. And it's the same team that didn't go far in the, in the postseason. Got bounced in the postseason by the Red Sox. Uh, as far as Yankees finishing second in the division, uh, I, I don't think so. I would say third, probably. Because I just don't think they have the, the starting pitching to sustain it. Garrett Cole does not look like the ace that he was all promised and, and hyped up to be. So, I, I you know, I, I don't know. Uh, but I don't say second place. I say third at this point in time. And I and I understand the lack of, uh, you know, uh, production from a few different positions on the field. Uh, and I and I also don't appreciate the rosy outlook. Give it to me straight. That's how I, that's how I live my life. So, that's how I deliver it to you, and I hope it comes across that way. All right, we've got a quick... Welcome back to kick off the 9 p.m. hour here on The Fan in New York City. I am Daniel McCartan with you for about another hour. Lori Rubinson comes your way then. Connor Green is taking your calls, producing the show on the ones and twos and all. You know, listen, real quick, and then we'll get to your calls. 877-337-6666. Appreciate you guys. It's, it's been full all night, and I love it. Keep them coming. Last night, Saturday night, if if you were watching the Yankee game, just happened to have it on, you you saw that the, the home plate ump missed a catcher's interference call with Aaron Judge at the plate. The ump was Phil Cuzzy, and he called it a foul ball. But Aaron Boone came out, and the call was kind of overturned after review. And as Judge swung the bat, the bat clearly hit the catcher's glove, clearly. And as I'm sitting there and watching the game, I had a, I guess because I just spoke at the Dumont Little League opening day and I had had that in my mind yesterday. And I had a flashback to a time when I was playing baseball. Yes, with the boys. Had to be second grade, maybe third, second, third grade, whatever. I remember I was at the plate. Ball four was called. Ball four. And the umpire said, take your base. Go to first. I remember I turned around right there in the batter's box. I, I, I turned around. I didn't even move my feet. Turned at the at the waist and I said, 
do I have to? And he kind of like looked at me and I said, I want to hit the ball. And he said, you have to take the base. And I was like all bent out of shape that I had to drop the bat and go first and I didn't get to hit the ball. So I say that because I am sure that Aaron Judge wanted to hit in that scenario too. He didn't say anything right away. I mean, I don't even think he said anything at all. As a batter, you definitely know when there's catcher inter- interference. You, you definitely know. You feel it. So I think Darren Judge just wanted to hit away in that in that scenario. He didn't say anything. Aaron Boone was the one who said something. So it's kind of funny that I, uh, I don't know, I, I, it just brought me back down memory lane there. So I don't know, right? I, you're a hitter. You want to hit the ball. You don't want to take your base. Come on now. Hawks, come on. All right, we have a, we have a caller on hold who is um, usually very, very long-winded. So Popcorn Rob, I have a challenge for you. I'm coming to you next, Popcorn Rob. Popcorn Rob in Babylon. I'm going to set a timer for one minute on my phone. You have one minute, Popcorn Rob, to make your point and get it across. Are you up for the challenge? Danielle, thanks for taking my call. All right, Connor, start it. Go ahead. What do you got for me, Popcorn Rob? For the life of me, why are you guys still harping on the pitches? If you look at the pitches ERA against the league, okay, the pitches ERA earn round average. It's probably, I think, fifth in the league. Now, let's talk about the batters. Let's talk about the ones that you guys keep on saying, oh, we're going to pay this guy $350 million. He had, the, he had the, the perfect time to make a statement the other night when he, was, when he, when he came in uh, to, to pinch hit. He had, he had, he had what, two, base, two, two people on base with no outs. And what does he do? Strike out. He let the pitcher pitch five pitches, and he struck out. This is the thing that I'm talking about, about what, what all-stars and superstars that are worth that type of money does. They come through at adversity. Thanks for taking my call. I think I went under one minute. I had more to say, but I'm going to let it go, and I'll catch you next week. Rob, awesome. Awesome job there. As the time ticks down from 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Here's the alarm on my phone. There it is. Rob, you did it. You did it. I'm not sure exactly what the point was that you made. But you kept the call short and concise. Something to do with ERA, something to do with hitters. I, I, I'm i still trying to figure it out. Douglas, in the Bronx, you're up next on the fan. Hey, Danielle. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Buona Pasqua. <laughs> yes, great to hear you're finally on FAN again. Thank I'm you. So I'm back. I'm back. You're back. <laughs> you're back. First of all, I cannot get over your former jersey number. Uh, when I was a kid in the, the early 80s, my dad was part of a softball club for a local tavern here in the Bronx, and he played multiple positions, but primarily pitcher. His jersey number was thirty-two. It's my dad's favorite number. Look at that! Wow. Yeah, I, I, look at that. Yeah. I don't. Some. Well, you know what though? I, I didn't pick it, Douglas. I'll be honest. This is my basketball number. I didn't pick that. I really wanted twenty-three, um, but um, this other girl, Danielle, took number twenty-three, so I had to go with 30, 32. <laughs> yeah, I, I love twenty-three too. You know, for Don Mattingly, for sure. Um, yeah. Um, so, um, and that's a great point you made earlier about lineup construction. Because yeah. um, I, I think, you know, the grandfather of sabermetrics, Bill James, he is a big proponent that the lineup order does not matter, but it certainly does. And that's a good point that perhaps that may have, may contribute to all these double plays and ground ball outs that the Yankees, it, it's, it's an epidemic, really. It is. Uh, yeah, uh, that could be it. Because if you're not sure what position you're going to be in yep. uh, consistently, 
uh, right, uh, you might not be getting the same types of pitches that you normally get. Correct. And, and yeah. sometimes, too, like, I remember sometimes they would put me on batting first, and I didn't like it because I, I didn't like looking out there and seeing nobody on the bases and, and having the pressure to be the person to go on the bases. Then they moved me down to third at one point in the, in the order. And then I saw a runner on third, and I, I froze. I, I, I stiffened up. You're not supposed to be stiff in the batter's box. I stiffened up. My hands tightened up. I couldn't get it done. So I like batting second. I thought that was a sweet spot for me because the, the situations, as you just alluded to, the situations, um, you know, they, they, they are more, quote-unquote, normal. You know what to expect at times, you know, as much as you can control. So I, I think so. There's something to it. And I just wish that the Yankees would stick to more of a, um, a more consistent lineup at, at least. Yeah. Uh, so, also, um, when you were growing up, do you remember there was this boy band called O Town? O Town. I loved O Town. How many times have I seen O Town? A lot. Ashley Parker, Angel. <laughs> oh my God, all of them. I loved it. Yes, O Town. Yes. Yeah. Well, their famous song oh. was "All or Nothing." That's right. right. Yep. That's or nothing the nothing at all. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's it. Right now, it's a lot of nothing. So here's some stats for you for the Yankees through ten through ten games. All right. Um, 30 runs, worst since 1977. That's before I was born. Hey. Um, OPS, on-base percentage plus slugging, 677, worst since 1989, and a 366 slugging percentage, worst since 1991. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's dire. I mean, that, that was when the Yankees were among the worst in baseball mm-hmm. those, those years, uh, those, the, the, those last two stats. But um, after the game today, this is on Yes Network, Aaron Boone said, and you touched upon it earlier with other quotes, but he said, I am confident in this offense that will be what we should be. And no, there was no laugh track after that quote, mm. but there should be. I, it's, it, yeah, I mean, that's where we are with the Yankees. So um, unfortunately, I have to reiterate what we already know. But um, Yeah, that's, Douglas, that's the, the rosiness, I, just, I can't deal with the rosiness. We are New Yorkers. We appreciate when people tell it to us straight. You know, something along the lines of, yes, we're struggling with runners in scoring position. Yes, we are aware of that. Um, you know, some of the guys are pressing. We'll, we'll talk about ways to mitigate that pressing at the plate. But yes, we understand. You know, that, that, that's an answer that I think New Yorkers would, would appreciate hearing rather than, you know, we're on the cusp, we're right around the corner, we're right around the bend. It's like Peter Cottontail coming around the whatever, whatever the song, however the song goes. Here comes Peter Cottontail. Right here comes the Yankees hits. I promise you they're coming. They're not going to come versus the Orioles, but maybe they're going to come versus the the Detroit Tigers. Maybe who are improved by the way since last year. It's just uh, I can't buy it. I can't get behind it. Robbie and Phoenix, you're up next on the fan. Yes, uh, can we just admit Aaron Boone is a horrible manager? Has no business managing. Um, I can't stand his post games. I can't watch him anymore. Um, he proved he just makes bad moves. Like, do you remember that great catch that LaCastro made today? Yeah, fantastic. It put a lot of momentum in. Yep. What does he do? Pinch it he for him. He puts in Gallo. Yep. He puts in Gallo. What is Joey Balboni doing? He's terrible. He's like the human windmill. He's an automatic out. Joey Gallo is what is wrong with baseball now. It's either a strikeout or what's in a blue moon, he hits it over the fence. Why is Gallo in this lineup? Can you give me any logical reason why he's still in this lineup? I At this point, no, I cannot. All right. 
and yet they keep putting him out there. Especially in the number I would rather four have hole. Brett Gardner than Joey Gallo. Uh, let's not go that far. Let's not go that far. Brett, uh, well, yeah, but at least he makes contact. Yeah, but in the field, he's a complete liability in the field. True. Now, yeah, but I mean, but I want to see, look, Castro, he made that great catch. Me the too. momentum's there. Yep. And you take him out. Yep. Uh, that, I, I, I was like, wait a second. As a player myself, I talked about it in the open. You make a great catch like that, you you're like, I want to be up next inning. I want to be up, and he was up, and then he took up. What kind of a feel for the game is that? Like, why did Lo Castro? Did he ask to come out at that point? That would be the only the only way I could see Lo Castro coming out of that game at that point in time is if he asked to be taken out. Personal experience, you're you're, you're juiced up. You just. You know, you, you laid horizontally out for a ball that, that was a web gem, number one, probably on Sports Center, best plays of, of the of the day or whatever they call it. I don't even know. Uh, and then you're like, yes, momentum is the second out of the inning. You get right out of it. You run back in the dugout and you're like, hey, uh, Locastro, yeah, park it. Uh, Gallo, grab the bat. And you're like, wait a second. What has Joey Gallo done to, to, to earn that spot, first of all? The guy goes 0 for 4 in a regular game. Not and now you want him to to go. Maybe the mentality is this. Maybe the maybe I'm just I'm just trying to throw this out there. But maybe the mentality is okay. All right, you have one at bat. You need to be really zoned in on one at bat, and and and, and try to make the most of it. And maybe that is a different approach. Maybe you're just trying to change the mentality of the hitter, just to try to do something else. Because what you're doing right now is not working. And and. Joey Gallo, let me tell you something. The the shift is absolutely burying this guy. It is. It's a fact. I mean, we've talked about it before. It's a fact. You look at, he's right now in the 2022 Major League Baseball season. He's in the 29th percentile in barrel percentage. He's in the, I mean, I'm sorry, he's in the 97th. I'm sorry, let me start that over. Joey Gallo is in the 97th percentile in barrel percentage. Joey Gallo is in the 91st percentile in walk percentage. He's in the 82nd percentile in X, X plus. He's in the 90s. You see where I'm going with this? He's, in, he's hitting the ball. He's crushing the snot out of the baseball. However, it is landing into the gloves of fielders. Today, for example. Today. He lines out. You know, back when I was a kid, which is not so long ago, but back when I was a kid, if you smoked the ball up the middle, it was most likely going to be a base hit. That's precisely and exactly what Joey Gallo did today in that pinch hit situation. Smoked the ball right up the middle into the waiting glove of wherever that fielder came from. I guess it was the third baseman. I don't even know who it was who caught that ball. That's a problem. Yes, I know he strikes out a lot, but, but that's the player that he was when he came here. Everybody knew. We talked about it when he came here. Strikeout, home run, walk. Unfortunately, that's the way this entire batting order is, seems to be constructed. But for the life of me, I cannot figure out why Lo Castro was lifted for Gallo to be put in the order there for him. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand. Dwight and East Orange, you're up next on the fan. Yes. Um, listen, first thing, in reference to the Yankees, yeah. Um, they, I, I heard somebody say that Aaron Boone was a good manager. But last year, their run differential was like one of the worst in the league, uh, like uh, like 100 runs less than Toronto, but they finished one game ahead of them. That usually indicates that the manager is doing a good job, doesn't it? 
Um, okay, so am I correct? Yeah, yeah, yes. But what I'm what I'm what I'm trying to word in my mind right now is that gone are the days where the manager is the sole decision maker. So the system, the system of whoever is making decisions, the numbers, the whole thing. Yes, Aaron Boone is the figurehead for it, but there's there's more behind uh-huh. the scenes that, that go into all right, those all right, decisions. All right, let me just say this. I know I don't have that much time. The mm-hmm. main thing I want to speak to you is about Kyrie. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever played? You said you used to play basketball, right? Yeah, I wasn't great, but I played, yeah. What? Have you ever lost a game like today's game at, with one second left, a playoff game? Because I have. I'm from uh, Jersey, and I lost a playoff game just like that. Mm-hmm. Have you ever lost a game like that? I'm sure I have along the lines here. Yeah, yes. all the years I've been you playing. Remember, do, you remember, do you remember how you felt when, right after the game? Yeah, horrible. It's like one of the worst. You yes. don't want to talk to anybody. You, you, okay. just, you know, the, yes. Wait, 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 wait. Let me finish. Let me finish. And all game long, these people in Boston have been calling Kyrie names and you know some of it is the N-word all game long. Wait a second. Now, Dwight, you th- uh-huh. there was a I'm use listening. of the, the N-word? Are you sure about that? You, you, I'm almost positive. Oh, well, I'm you're not, but you're not, but you're not, you weren't there. Okay, I, let's, I'm okay. Positive. But, you, but you weren't but there. Even, even, okay, even, I, I wasn't there. But even if they didn't, you know they cause them all kind of vile things. You know that. Come on now. They hate him up there. All right, and you know how Boston is. But, but he brought it upon himself, but okay, but go ahead. Okay, okay, okay. But okay. the way you feel after a game like that, Right, and these people are calling you names all game long. They're running onto the court, pointing, pointing their fingers in. I mean, I know he shouldn't have done that, but that's kind of hard to hold that in. No, Dwight. No, Dwight. Like it's not. He but it's not, Dwight. You're a professional athlete. You should not okay, be giving okay, the yes, finger to yes, fans in the yes, stands. Right, the whole you're thing. Right, you're, right, you're right. Come on. That part is right, but that's not easy. That's all I'm saying. It's not easy. That's not the easy. Okay, thing. we agree on that. It is not easy. You're right about that. But you cannot uh-huh. let it get into your mind like that and mess you up mentally and throw you off your game. You're right, but the professional part, you are right. But I'm just saying, like, I, I, I have to get, I, I don't like totally destroy him for something like that, especially the way he played today. And to lose a game like that, I feel bad. It seems like to me, like the, the, the press really doesn't seem like this. They get on Kyrie about everything, the vaccination. I mean, do you know that this guy's a Muslim? Muslims do not take the vaccination for nothing. All Muslims I know do not believe in that vaccination. All right, Dwight, here we go. That, that, that's where that call went off the rails. We are not vaccination experts. You weren't there. You don't know what was said to him. Okay, we'll leave it at that. But as a professional athlete, you cannot react in that way. That tells the fans that, that, that to ratchet it up even more because they are getting under your skin. They have done something to affect you and the way you are on the court. And Kyrie Irving had a great game today. He really did. As a professional athlete, you cannot react. I, I was saying, as a high, high school athlete, I, I, I never even heard it. I never blocked it all out. How do you hear that stuff during the course of a game? I, I don't understand. And then to have to, 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 to respond like that? I don't know, man. I, it's, it's not a good look. It's just not. And, and, and for a guy who brought it upon himself as well in that scenario. So I had a, a loyal follower tweet me at 4.13 p.m. yesterday. He said, this is a quote, I'm thinking about dumping the Yankees and joining the Met camp. And he put four question marks and then four periods. And he said, what do you think? End quote. And I said, I think you got to stick with your team. Have the Yankees fans already give it up on this team? Are you really that down on this team through 10 games? Because that tweet got me thinking, We were just talking about it. We were just alluding to it. Which team, the Mets or the Yankees, are better constructed to win a World Series? We're talking about not schedule, not but construction of the team. 
Which team is better constructed to win a World Series? I want to hear what you think. Get on the horn, 877-337-6666. If you can't get through, you can tweet me at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan as well. Hey, welcome back to McCartan Before Midnight here on The Fan on this Easter Sunday. Happy Easter, Buona Pasqua, Happy Passover to all those that are celebrating. Uh, we are rolling towards the end of the show here. I'm, I'm out of here at 10. Lori Rubinson comes your way at that time with the program. Hey, listen, I had a loyal Twitter follower ask me if he should dump the Yankees for the Mets. And uh, I started thinking about which team, and that kind of sent me into like my little zone there. And I started thinking about which team is better constructed to win a World Series, the Mets or the Yankees right now. And I'm not talking about schedules, trying to get none of that. I'm just talking about roster construction. You know, as of late last night when I checked, the odds for the Yankees to win the World Series were plus 1,300. You know what the odds for the Mets to win the World Series were? Plus 1,300. <laughs> the exact same thing. So let's do this. Which team is better constructed to win a World Series? That was on FanDuel, by the way, if you don't think I'm telling the truth. I, I hate to do this to you, Yankee fans, but if you're looking at the construction of the lineup from the pitching staff starting pitching on down through the nine batter, I think the Mets are better constructed to win a World Series. Because as of late last night, the Mets, as a team, were seventh in the league in batting average and slugging percentage, are fourth in the league in on-base percentage. The Mets are second in the league in RBIs, and the Mets are, led the league, at least last night when I checked all this up, they led the league in on-base percentage. And there were only two teams as of last night with just one more stolen base than the Mets, the Dodgers and the Royals. That, to me, is a very balanced team. Those numbers, those stats, those figures tell me the team is not afraid to run. They're aggressive on the base paths, and yet they can hit for some power, and they can also hit situationally. So to the eye test, the Mets steal bases, they hit sacrifice flies, and the Yankees still rely too much on the long ball. And we've talked about it at length, about all that over the course of the last two and a, two years, two-plus years, right here on these airways on my show. And I looked it up. And I talked about this in the open, and I'm going to really flush it out now. Through midway through the Toronto series, and including last night, and, and inc- even let's include today, when the Yankees hit a home run in a game, they win. When they don't hit a home run, they lose. And maybe there's a one or two games where that didn't happen. Definitely one, maybe two. You know, play along those lines. But to me, that's not a formula for success, especially against the best pitchers in the, that you're going to see in the postseason. I just love how the Mets just hit situationally. And the Yankees can, but their lineup just isn't built that way. Stanton, Judge, Gallo, Donaldson, Torres to an extent now, they're all the same type of hitter. Feast, famine, as Doug said before, you know, O-Town, all, all nothing at all, or everything or nothing at all. It's 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 horrible. So, and then add in the pitching. You're making me choose between the pitching. I'm absolutely picking the Mets' rotation. And probably their closer, too, at this point. I think the only strength that the Yankees have over the Mets right now, in terms of roster construction, is their bullpen. That's it. So, you know, the Mets and Yankees last night, anyway, they were plus 1,300 odds, both of them, to win a World Series. Sorry to say it, but I think the Mets got a better chance. They have a better shot. To the calls we go. Paul in Floral Park, you're up next on the fan. How are you, Daniel? Hey, Paul, what's up? All right. I'm so glad you're back. Yeah. Yeah, my, uh, Michael Bossy. Uh, I mean, the, that was a nice uh, nice take on your uh, acknowledging, Kim. Yes. Yeah. It's, and the same thing with uh, Clark Gillies. 
I mean, if you're if you're oh, in yeah. hockey circles, you you kind of kind of knew he was sick, he was struggling, but still yeah. a shock either way. I mean, the guy was a legend. Ah, oh, oh, to every sense of the word. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Sad. Because uh, we went to the game when uh, he scored his uh, fifty and fifty. My father's uh, good friend uh, Joe Archer got rest his soul. Wow. He uh, got the tickets for us. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. He, uh, cool memory. Yeah. He. Yeah. He uh, he lived in Forest Hills. He uh, he passed away about a year ago. Lived to the age of ninety three. Yeah, sorry to hear about that. Such a yeah, such a nice man. Yeah, he was uh, yeah, good uh, good friends with my father. He loved him so much. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> back in nineteen eighty eight, I was on a uh, class trip from uh, Swanica High School, mm-hmm. a science uh, uh, convention. And I ran into uh, uh, Brian Trachet and and Bob Nystrom mm. on that day in the ticket uh, the cool. ticket to area. Yeah, oh, two two of the nicest guys you ever wanted me. I spoke to them for about ten minutes. Wow. Yeah, that was 1988. Yeah, uh, Yankees. Um, if I were Aaron Boone, I I'd be go telling the uh, the analytics department. To go take their analytical statistics and go shove it at their rear end. <laughs> now, and go minding their own business, for God's sake. I mean, who the hell are they? Yeah, he, he's the one that's going to put managing the team. That's yeah. them with these jerks. Yeah. You know? I know. He, he's the face of the franchise over there, and uh, he keeps getting blamed for everything, and they're the ones kind of telling him what to do and how to do it. I, I get you. Right. I get it. That's why I call him Twiddledum, like uh, like Robbie from upstairs. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> right, right. I tweeted that to to you several times throughout the week. <laughs> All right, uh, thank you, Danielle. All right, All right Paul. Right, we'll Th- talk to you soon. Thanks for Be being well. back here, Paul. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, Twiddledee, Twiddledee. I mean, I wouldn't go that far. Paul doesn't mince words, though, does he? Let's go to Tom in Eastern Pennsylvania. You're up on the fan. Yeah. Hi, Danny. Welcome back. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. It's good to be back. I never sing on live radio, but I was thinking, guess who's back? Back, back again. <laughs> Danielle's um, back. Hello, yeah, friend. <laughs> so, two, one quick point, and I, had, I wanted to ask you a baseball question yeah. about rule changes and that. Just on, on Kyrie Irvin, I mean, you know, what he did was despicable. On a personal level, I watched it. I, it didn't bother me really any, but just in the grand scheme of the game and you know, the whole thing like that. They have to do something here because you just can't have, um, you know, players doing that kind of stuff at an advantage. It just doesn't work. But, yeah, I agree. Um, what I wanted to ask you was I know they were doing, there was talks about the rule changes, and the two things I want to ask is the first thing is did they do did they do the thing with the widening, making the bases bigger yet or no? Yes, I actually, uh, yes, at Yankee Stadium I, right. I saw the bases. They didn't look really much bigger to me, to be honest with you. But. Okay, and, here, and here's the last thing, and then I'll, I'll let you go. So I don't think they should, like, as these professional athletes, for them to ban the shift, I think it hurts the opposed, hurts both teams because you can't, you're telling people where they should play on the field at this point. And I get the idea of their professional athletes, they should be able to slap the ball down the line against the shift. It's probably harder to do than it looks. But anyway, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that and, and how they can mandate a shift and change the way the game's Play. So I'll let you go. Thank you. Yeah, Tom, and, and there was, uh, I guess about a month ago now, we did a kind of a whole show uh, on the shift, and 
Uh, listen, I, I'm one of the old school people. I really am. It's like, okay, you can't hit the ball. You got to, you know, you can't, you got to pull it or whatever. You got to push it to, down the, the third base line. You, you got, you just have to figure out how to do it. If you can't figure out how to do it, you bunt. Okay, but you look at a guy like Joey Gallo, right? You look at a guy like Joey Gallo who who led the league in, in bunt singles last year. Led the league in bunt singles. Okay? Um, you, you, you look real close if you're at the games. They don't show it on TV, but you got a third baseman, you know, was trying to speed up the game and everything, right? But you got a third baseman switching out his infield glove for an outfielder's glove and then running out to the outfield to play four across at the very least. And then once the, the, the batter who they shift on, for, for example, Joey Gallo, either gets out or gets on base, the guy comes running in and switches out his infield glove, outfield glove for his infield glove. I mean, this is, this is insane. Where do you draw the line? You got six fielders on one side of the field. Where do you draw the line? So we, we have done a, a majority of a show on this. It's just when you look at it, when you look at the shift, the shift has taken away over 4,800 hits last season alone. Um, it's it's enough. You know, it's just enough. And I never thought I would say it, but it's time to, to I don't want to say ban it, but definitely mandate it so that you kind of find the happy medium where you got your third baseman and your shortstop have to play on on the dirt or in front of the dirt, on the left side of the bag, and your second baseman and your and your first baseman have to play on the dirt or in front of the dirt on the right side of the bag. That's it. That's how I would kind of split the the, the middle there because yes, while while I while I understand, but you know, back in my day, back in my day, pitchers weren't throwing 100 miles an hour on a, on the regular. Back in my day, pitchers weren't utilizing spin rate to to put nine inches of break on each of their pitches. So when you talk about ban the shift, you're, you're also maybe not, uh, you know, maybe you're taking into consideration now the proliferation of the modern-day baseball pitcher. You have to factor that into the equation somewhere along the line. Uh, Jim in Princeton, you're up next on the fan. Hi, Danielle. How are you? I'm good, Jim. How are you? All right. Good, good. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, thanks for making it. Always. Um, sorry I'm going to butt heads with you on the shift. It's fine. And, uh, and the other rule changes in baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question is, and you know, just want to get your thought. I know you're, you're, uh, you're, you're looking about to ban the shift for some reason, but well, why, because, are we because... making, why are we making these changes? Why don't we take a step back? It seems that baseball wants to attract a new fan by shortening the games, by, you know, look at the change that we made over the past couple of years, limiting uh, the situational lefty. Now you got to pitch to uh, pitch the rest of the inning or minimum three. Why? Why? Because Why? the game is no longer engaging. It's hard to stay engaged. I teach in a classroom. No, it is. It is. But we, the thing is, we're trying to attract a fan that we're never going to get. We're never going to get the basketball fan. We're never going to get the football fan. But what I we're don't know if do I would, by changing. I don't know what, if I would generalize we, it like that. If we, yeah, but if we keep changing the game and we destroy it, we're going to lose the loyal fan. The guy who's saying, hey, what the heck is this? It seems like it's, it's, it's cricket on steroids. We're going to hit the ball back and forth. You could play here, you could play there. Jeez, we're going to be playing with two balls, for crying out loud. Leave the game alone. It's Jim, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see how taking away 4,800 hits makes the game more exciting. Well, Do you? Oh, it, it, by, by making these changes, it's not the same game anymore. Didn't, by, when you used to play, it, didn't you used tell- to have two fielders on each side of second base? Infielders? 
sure. It's, it's not changing. Teach, it's just going yeah. back to what the game was. Yeah, but teach the kids to hit the other way. Like uh, I, I coach you, uh, you sports. I coach them. Uh, I, I do too. In, the, in high school, we teach them to hit the other way. Right, I do too. And you're starting to see some of that. You saw Robbie Cano uh, get a couple of base hits going the other way. He laid down a bunt. Let's see some of that. Well, Joey Gallo Rather led than- the league in, in bunt singles last year, Jim. And and, the, when, and I got to run here because I got to hit the hit the update here. I got to hit the break. But listen, when Freddie Freeman comes out and says, you know, it's not as easy as you think it is. You gotta have have to you have to listen to him. When in October Derek Jeter tells me it's time to ban the shift, you gotta kind of have to listen to him. You know, and you look at the numbers. You got guys that are barreling balls up. It's they're, they're knocking the cover off the ball, and they're being caught at a clip of they're taking away forty more than forty eight hundred hits. It, it's just enough is enough. It's just restoring the game back to what it was when you and I we were all kids. We never had a shift. I never hit against a shift. Now I do in my women's adult league, and it sucks. But it is what it is. There's 10 fielders when I play, actually, and it sucks. Yes, I try to make the adjustments, but I'm not pitching. I'm not hitting against a guy with a, a nine-inch break from you know on a, on a, on a curveball. We cannot leave out of the equation the proliferation of the pitchers. I'll, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. It, it's it, you know what? I never thought I would say it. I never thought I would say it. It's time to ban the shift. So in this final segment here, we'll look ahead to Nets-Celtics Game 2 Wednesday night in Boston. We'll put a nice bow on our New York baseball scene until I'm back with you next weekend. You know, Garrett Cole takes the mound for the Yankees on Tuesday. Is he a true ace? Do you really trust him in the number one spot there on the rotation for the Yankees? Also, as I mentioned before, we'll say it again, a detail from this Mets weekend that should not go overlooked What's on your mind, New York sports fans? Let's get after it. Give me a call. Let's talk. 877-337-6666. Should be between me and you. Welcome back to McCartan Before Midnight here on The Fan in New York City. Throwing it backwards is Ja Rule and Ashanti, I think, off the top of my head. It's been a great day here in New York. Happy uh, Happy Easter. Happy Passover. Buona Pasqua to all the Italians out there. Buona Pasqua. Hey, uh, listen, buried... Under the ineptitude of the Yankees' failure to, failure to launch, like <laughs> you remember that movie, uh, the offense of the Yankees was just completely inept today, and, and that's 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 bad news for Nestor Cortez, who had a career high twelve strikeouts, who had an immaculate inning. That should be the story coming out of the Yankees Baltimore game today. Instead, the Yankees dropped the series to the lowly Baltimore Orioles, who lost exactly one hundred and ten games last season. Can't win the East if you can't beat the, the the Orioles. Garrett Cole takes the mound next for the Yankees. Garrett Cole and his five five nine ERA. That's a concern to me. The number of home runs he's given up is also a concern to me. We talked about it here last year. The propensity of him to give up the home run ball. It's uh, it's at least he averages one home run per game. At least one home run per game. It's concerning. And the Mets. Hey, the Mets just won their third. Series of the season. They're among, if not the best team in baseball. Don't look now. And and, and the attention to detail uh, that Buck Showalter had today with knowing the rule of when the pitcher steps off during during an appeal process, it is a live ball. He told, you know, down the line, the coaches down the line who related to J.D. Davis who stole second base. I mean, it's the little things. And, and Buck in his postgame said that they work on little rules like that they, in practice often. They take one or two, I forget the direct quote, but they take one or two often at, at practice and they, they work on them. It's amazing. That's how I would run things. It's Bill Belichick in. All right, we've got about mm, 
eight minutes, nine minutes. Okay, so anybody that's on hold, anybody that does call in, I appreciate you keeping it short, concise, to the point. Okay, we're going to try and get as many in before uh, the end time here as possible. Okay, everybody? And, of course, how can we forget the Nets dropped a heartbreaker to the Boston Celtics on a, a Tatum spinorama layup literally at the buzzer sent the Nets a big L in game one. Ugh, ugh, frustrating to watch. But again, they got completely and totally out-rebounded. All right, let's go right down the line here in the order that you called. Simon in New Haven, Connecticut. You're up on the fan. Danielle, happy Easter to you. How you too, Simon. Thank you. It feels good to have a caller actually back me up on something. When I say about Boone, he's a lousy manager. He doesn't know how to manage. I've been saying this all along. People were getting on my case, but I've been proved right. And, and, and why is he putting Joey Gallo in? I mean, Castro made a great catch. Yep. I mean, how stupid can you be, Boone? I agree. <laughs> There's no feel for it. The numbers said that's what you do, and, and that's what he did. You know, he's like Girardi because he treats these pitches very shamefully. You remember last year, Daniel, when they had the Davy was it Davy Garcia or Davy Garcia? Davy Garcia, yeah. Davy, uh, here's a guy who's excited about pitching a playoff game, and what does he do after the inning? He takes him out. Oh, it's an analytics thing. No, it's not. If the organization and analytics don't want to pitch, why pitch him? You see how stupid he is? It's like dealing with Mister Magoo. Well, on that note, Simon, yes. Uh, listen, he's not like Joe Girardi, yes, in the sense of bullpen management, but Joe Girardi, um, he got on Gary Sanchez. He was trying to make Gary Sanchez better, okay? He brought a, a baby bombers, quote-unquote, team within one game of the World Series and then was fired. So, um, listen, I, I didn't agree with it at the time, but it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? I, I thought Joe Girardi did, did a fine job with that team, but here we are. Buddha in the Bronx, you're up on the fan. Hey, how are you? Good to talk to you, Danielle. Oh, thanks. Thanks for making the call. I appreciate it. Good to talk to you, too. Hey, I'll be very quick, 60 seconds. Um, the other guy called earlier, and you were talking about the Kyrie Irving stuff. Um, obviously, you don't want to be flipping the bird to fans. It's not the prudent thing to do. I'd be careful throwing around that word despicable because I think when a guy threw the mouthpiece out of his mouth and hit the little girl, that not only was unsanitary, that to me is something that's more Well, despicable. I didn't, I, I, let me correct you. I did not say the word despicable. The caller probably did. But no, was, no, I know you didn't. No, there was okay. a caller. There was a caller. Okay. But what I will um, take umbrage to, you know, to a slight, lighter degree, is when you were talking about you played high school sports mm-hmm. and, you know, you, you didn't hear anything. I played Catholic high school uh, football and basketball. And I've been playing since Staten Island and Long Island. I've heard some very not nice things. Mm-hmm. I didn't react on it, and my my skin might be a little thicker. But specifically, I live in the Bronx for years, and then I also live in Rockland County. We had a basketball game here maybe a few months ago where kids were on the free throw line, and um, people were making the gorilla sounds and things like that. That's disgusting. It was on News 12. Yep. You know, so you've got to be careful saying, like in high school, you just don't. Maybe as a pro, you understand what I mean? But in high school, that kind of stuff can affect you. And especially with the way people are acting these days, you don't want to rile somebody up too much. You know what I mean? Right. Buddha, yes, exactly. You're talking to a teacher here. Okay. Yes. I totally wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly agree with you. Yes, for sure. But as a professional athlete, you got to be able to block it out. You you cannot you cannot react in the manner that Kyrie Irving did today. And, I, and that's not the huge takeaway from the game at all, by any means. It, it But it happened, and we have to talk about it. Eli in Washingtonville, you're up on the fan. Hey, Daniel, what's going on? Listen, uh, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Okay, so the Yankees are definitely insane if they think that the Brian, this Brian Cashman era is going to change anytime soon. Mm-hmm. This guy, he tries to be the smartest guy in the room, mm-hmm. 
and he fails repeatedly. Mm-hmm. He tries to be the Tampa Bay Rays when they, he's not, the Yankees are not the Tampa Bay Rays. You don't have the analytic team that they have. You're not as smart as they are. Just use the money that you have wisely, which he has not done. Correct. And you point to Aaron Hicks with that. I would even throw the Giancarlo Stanton. Not the, I guess, the money, but the, the long-termness of it. I mean, there's so many mishaps that Brian Cashman has had done. I outlined them at the conclusion of this season. Um, I, 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 he's, his contract is up at the end of this season, I believe it is. He's going to be back. They brought Boone back. They'll bring him back. That's kind of why I made the case at that point in time. Um, I think uh, he, he he's a Supreme Court justice. He's, had, he's been appointed for life. Walter, New York, you're up on the fan. He's a, I can drive my car. I'll find me something else. Okay, Walter. Like- Sorry for uh, interrupting your conversation there. Let's go to Sparky and Dobbs Ferry. You're up next on the fan. First of all, happy Easter, Coach. Happy Easter, Sparky. Back. Thank you. It's been good, good to um, be back. For, you know, as far as the analytics, they should really throw that stuff out the window. How can the Yankees explain after the way they they bowed out last year, yes. cause of Baltimore not being able to score any runs in Camden Yards? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't know. I, okay. And as far as Aaron Judge, the way Cashman has conducted himself throughout this whole thing with Aaron Judge, he's the one who made everything public, not Aaron Judge. Yeah. I yeah, despicable gonna, in the way he ma- he he handled that, by the way. And you know what's sad, Coach? You're going to see the worst nightmare you could possibly have. Aaron Judge is going to be playing in City Field next year. Watch. Well, you, you know what, Sparky? That would be the ultimate revenge, wouldn't it be? You know what I mean? Uh, but I saw a report, I forget who wrote it, that, that Steve Cohen wouldn't be interested. I don't buy that for a second. Why would Steve Cohen not be interested in a guy like Aaron Judge who does everything right, even by by the the Dumont Little League, he made he recorded a little message for them yesterday that I played for them. I mean, the guy, you're right. There's no way that Steve Cohen is not interested in Aaron Judge should he come available. Tom in the Bronx, you might be the Mariano Rivera of the night here. Tom, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Um, look, this, as far as the shift is concerned, it should add 400 hits. I mean, three people on one side of the field telling you if you hit on the other side of the field, it's a free base. We supposed to feel sorry for that and cater to the hitters? Huh? No, I don't think it should be banned. Adjust to the game. If well, that's where we're going now, adjust to the game, like it was in the sixties to the nineties. Right, but the, the pitchers in the sixties, but the ahead. pitchers then were not as good as the pitchers are today. Let's, let's come on. Let's let's not leave that okay. out of the equation. But you can't slap a ball to those out of field, a professional hitter? Come on. That, how? Oh, come on. I can't believe that. I don't think we should cater to anybody. You well, know, I, I and, used to think that way, too. And then when you have guys like Derek Jeter and Freddie Freeman coming out and talking, again, you know, banning the shift or adjusting the shift, you, you have to listen to them. Hey, the game is what it is. The game is what it is. The game shouldn't change for the player. The player should change for the game. The but game it's not happening, though, Tom. How many more is. years? How many more hits have to be taken away before before it happens? It's, it's not taken away. They just refuse to adapt and learn how to hit to the other side. No, Come I don't on. think it's that's, that. I don't think it's that. Okay, okay. Well, that's just how I feel. Mm-hmm. That's just how I feel. That's all. And you had a Yankee point? Yeah. Did you have a Yankee point as well, or that's it? Um. Oh, the, the Yankees, uh, as always, our fans got to be patient. There's only 10 games. Come on. Let's be patient. If they, if this is how they built, then give them a chance. I mean, 
at, at all-star time, then I'll have a comment. But now, come on, let them just get comfortable playing the game, all right? Yeah, well, that's the problem is this. They have a new lineup every single day that they're out there. The trends are the same trends from last year, hitting, uh, being unable to hit with runners in scoring position. Uh, you know, oh, uh, Chapman imploding on the mound. Okay, it's, it, that's what's concerning to Yankee fans, I, I think, at this point. All right, well, thanks to all the callers. I could not have done this without you. I love coming here and talking with you. If you missed any portion of today's show, hit the Odyssey Rewind feature. Select the start of the show, which is around 7, 10 p.m.-ish. I will see you next weekend, Saturday night, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Great job, as always, to Connor Green, the A-team behind the glass today, Pete McCarthy, Peter Schwartz on the updates. And in the meantime, you hit my social media accounts, at Coach McCartan on Twitter, on Instagram, at Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. We'll keep the conversation going throughout the week. All right, hoping for some better news for the Yankees and he, the Mets keep rolling. Lori Rubinson and the program is up next here on The Fan. Hey, and a Nets win coming up this week, too. Let's see it. Sports Radio 101.9 FM. The Fan. W-O-O.